Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. There's a ton to talk about. It's always the case, I guess, right, when you are, when we're reconvening on a Monday coming off of a weekend. But Don Fisher is going to join us coming up about 30 minutes from now. I think most people are aware of Don's comment, and I totally agree with him from Friday night. Um, And I get the fact that, you know, in the heat of a broadcast, although Don's the ultimate professional, and he's been doing this for 51 years as the voice of Indiana, I, I think a key point that should be made because I saw a lot of misquote about this but for those that are unfamiliar uh in Indiana's game on Friday night Don Fisher had made the comments well Eddie you've got it here in Indiana's game up in Madison Wisconsin I believe it was directly following or in the fallout of a technical foul or flagrant foul from CJ Gunn and Don Fisher had this to say and I have never said this before in my 51 years behind the microphone at Indiana University, but I am embarrassed for this ball club. Uh, right and now. Not, be, not because of the score. Now, I get it. And I'm not playing that to pick on Don at all because I totally support and agree with what he said. Um, and that won't be necessarily the epicenter of our conversation with him. But I want to point out, I think a lot of people, because I saw a lot of quotes about this from people saying Don Fisher said he's embarrassed of the basketball team. He didn't say that. He said he's embarrassed for them. And I think it's a very distinct difference. Because by saying you're embarrassed for them, what you are saying is they should be better than this. I'm embarrassed for them because I know they're better than this. And the mental lapses and the lack of discipline with which they play has to be frustrating. And especially when you are somebody who has been calling games for that program for that long. So I t- and as a matter of fact, I had sent a tweet as soon as that happened. I sent a tweet that said, "Like Indiana basketball is an embarrassment. They have no. This is me talking. Not they have no no discipline, no heart. They're an embarrassment, and I stand by it. And individually, do I think they're bad guys? I don't know them. I don't know. I don't think that, but I do think that, and, and I don't buy into necessarily the whole like." S- the whole thing of like it has to be you have to be from Indiana to understand what it means to play for Indiana. First off, for a 16 year 17 year old kid right now, when you say like they don't understand what it means to play for Indiana, it hasn't meant that in 20 years. But there there is some truth to the fact that that you have some kids that probably don't necessarily understand everything from what the fan base anticipates and expects. But we'll get into that over the course of the show today. Lots to talk about Pacers last night in Phoenix on the short end, but Jimmy Cook, who is wearing his Kansas City Chiefs gear today, uh, I assume you did not see much of the Suns-Pacers game, correct? Yeah, statement? look, I, I'll, you had honesty last week. I'll have honesty this week. I saw the final five minutes, five, six minutes of that ball game. Did not get a chance. Obviously, went back and rewatched some of it, but live did not get the opportunity to go on that West Coast journey with a ton of Pacers fans. Main takeaway, late. And I think that this is probably the consensus in terms of the early returns, very early returns of Pascal Siakam in a Pacers uniform is it's going to take a little bit of time. And it's especially unfair to draw a rational decision when 
it was so clear, especially late in that game from an offensive standpoint, they really could have used Tyrese Halliburton. I get why it's so impressive that he was able to return as quickly as he did. I get why he didn't play last night. It's a long West Coast trip. You don't want to risk injuring him further. I don't blame the Pacers for resting him, but you could tell, and at least me watching the final six, just longing for those two stars to be paired together against two stars on the other side in Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. They obviously don't get that. They still hang around in that game. They have chances in the fourth, could never really get over the hump, and the Suns are able to kind of outmuscle you and outstar you to some extent to win. And they end Jake a road trip where this is prior to the Siakam trade. When you asked me what did I want out of this trip, the bar was low. I said two and four because I didn't know how long Tyrese Halliburton was going to be out. The fact you got him back for a game and couldn't get that win in Portland is frustrating, but two and four, not the end of the world given the circumstances they were in. You know, the the NBA is a league of ebb and flow. And players have peaks and valleys and slumps and then streaks. The truly great players, the elite players, are those where they do not have the stretches of enigma. You you know game in and game out what you're going to get. That, that, that defines really, that's what separates great players in the NBA from good players. You know, the... I'm trying to think just off the top of my head, like a good player in the league. You know, Tyrese Halliburton is is probably a great player at this point, right? You you pretty much know night in and night out what you're going to get from him. Each time he steps on the floor, you know you're probably going to get 90% of the time, you're going to get anywhere from 15 or more points and probably close to double-digit assists, right? Yes. And And then there are good players in the NBA. Grayson Allen's a good player. He goes out like last night, you know, he hits a couple shots. But one night he's got 18, and then he goes two games where he doesn't have over six, and then he's got a 25-point night. That's a good player. Benedict Matherin, when he was drafted, I think that we all, in in defense of Benedict Matherin, the thought process was, you know, that, that automatically we were ready to just point out he's a great player. It's a great pick. He's a top ten, and Indiana was thirsting for the fact of a superstar because of all the reasons that we've laid out on the show many, many times. But also, it had been since George McLeod when we had seen a player in this market drafted that high. And George McLeod was a good player. He wasn't a good player with Indiana. He had a lot of, of things that went against him when he got drafted. You know, he lost both parents like within six months of getting drafted and he went into a depression and they had him trying to play point guard. And then he went to Dallas and got rejuvenated and became a, he, he reinvented himself as a shooting guard as opposed to, and, and that's when he became a good player. But I think because Matherin was drafted where he was, we thought this is going to be a great player for the Pacers. Well, the stretch that he's on Jimmy to, to finish the road trip was not good. I mean, what is he like? One of his last sixteen or something like that. I mean, he has not played well, um, but at the same time, there are also games where he is really good, and he definitely has like you'd rather have him than not have him for certain. But the way that he 
plays off of Siakam. Jarris Walker starting to get some minutes, which I like. So, you know, they're starting to, to, to find different areas. And it's going to be curious with Benedict Matherin, as Walker gets more minutes and as Siakam is mixed in, you know, just to see where Matherin's, I don't mean minutes roll, but just his placement within the offensive sets where it comes. It's going to be interesting to watch. Good afternoon to you, by the way. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, you just heard from. Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query and Company on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. we got a loaded show today. As we'd mentioned, Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, is going to join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. Mike Chapel, the dean of football writers covering the Colts, going to join us at 1 o'clock today. Scott Agnes will talk a little Pacers at 1.30, and then uh, we're going to talk a little football at 2 o'clock, right, Jimmy? We'll get into your Chiefs more and more. Yeah, we'll look at the entire divisional round, of course, a little bit from my Chiefs, Charles McDonald of Yahoo Sports, going to take some time with us, recap the entire divisional round, and look ahead to what should be a storyline-filled, entertaining championship Sunday coming up this weekend. I um, I had said, I was certain of this. Maybe I'm done with my guarantees. I thought for certain a number one seed was going to fall. Because usually that happens. Usually there's an upset. But um, pretty chalk all the way through. You got a one and, is it one and three in both? Is that right? Yes. But I thought... I thought Green Bay was going to get it done over San Francisco. They had it, man. They did. I mean, they had they had it lock, stock, and barrel, right? Yeah, I mean, I believe two interceptions in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, by Jordan Love. Yeah, two interceptions in the fourth. And you look, this is a, a weekend of two memorable kicks, one outstaging the other, of course. You know, the Green Bay missed a kick that would have effectively put them in a situation where your game is tied instead of being down. And then maybe that's a drive where instead of having to rush and feel like you need to be another Green Bay Packers quarterback and kind of Brett Favre-esque manner, Jordan Love going across his body on first down with 50 seconds to play when you didn't need to, and then, of course, Tyler Bash yesterday. But from that Packers game, yeah, I mean, it's one of those where there's a reason for the Green Bay fans to feel like they've done it again. They have found another generational quarterback, and they are going to be set for the next 10, 12, 15 years, whatever you want to map out a career. There's another reason to look at and think, though, you had that game on the road and you're what two minutes away, four minutes away from going to an NFC championship game when your season looked dead to rights a month and a half ago. Just a frustrating, if any of those ones was going to go down, I don't know that I would have picked it to be San Francisco, but boy did the Packers make them work for all of it. Even though you need to take into account the Debo Samuel losing him as early as they did definitely impacted San Francisco. You know, the, um, the conspiracy theorists were out in full force after, and, and I can say this now because he made a full recovery, thank goodness, but uh, after the DeMar Hamlin incident, I'm talking about his health scare, the heart incident, Yep. Um, you know, forever there, there were people that were saying that the DeMar Hamlin we were seeing everywhere was fake, right? Forgot about that. <laughs> fake DeMar Hamlin. Uh, so the Buffalo Bills went all in on that and went literally with a play call called fake DeMar Hamlin, right? Yes. And that did not go well for them, although it turned out to not be a huge issue because Kansas City turned the ball over. Um, <sighs> now, what was with the heavy side there? Why, why are you doing jet sweeps to your fifth best wide receiver in the red zone? Hand the ball off. I know it doesn't matter. They won, whatever. But like that, the talking point and narratives in sports shift based on one play. They did it once earlier in the game to Michael Hardman. He doesn't do anything. Oh, you're talking about Kansas City. Correct. But okay. like that's your point about the DeMar Hamlin play. It looked awful by McDermott, and then Kansas City fumbles it in the end zone, and... 
That's a play that almost gets lost because of Tyler Bass. Right. Right. Here's the other thing. Last night in the NFL, if you did not watch, I would assume most saw it. But Buffalo came down and with just over a minute to go, had a relatively, by NFL standards, high percentage field goal. And Tyler Bass went wide right, and Jim Nance brought back the ghost for Buffalo Bills fans immediately of you know the most famous words in Buffalo, wide right. And Poor Scott Norwood catching strays on a Sunday. Totally, right? Now, here's the thing. I know it's easy to say, man, that kid for Buffalo that missed that kick. And I mean, I felt bad for him because they showed him on the sidelines on the bench. He's all by himself, and you could tell he was despondent. But you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. They needed a touchdown there. They needed a touchdown, and if they'd have kicked that field goal, then theoretically you you say to yourself, yeah, but they'd have gone to overtime. No, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have. He hits that, he hits that field goal. The game's tied. Kansas City goes down, and in three plays, they're in field goal range, and they win the game on the last minute. Yeah, I mean, they average nine yards a play. Like, the thought that Buffalo was suddenly going to find something defensively right. to limit them, I, yeah. I mean, there was no doubt that... that that's the easy narrative, right? Correct. But there was wasn't going to happen, which is why I respect. Like, I don't know where this take lands today. I respect what Josh Allen tried to do. Like everybody points to, okay, go over the middle to Diggs, and you have a first down there, and then you get a closer chance for a touchdown. I get that, but that play where he misses, and I can't even remember the name of the wideout. So Shakir, please help me out. Where he misses Shakir and throws it at his feet, and it looks like maybe he gets his lineman pushed into him, so maybe that affected the throw. That route, that same route concept, is exactly how he burnt them in the divisional round two years ago, where the corner and the safety get confused, guy's wide open, and that's a throw Josh Allen makes all the time. Now, maybe you say, well, the Chiefs go score a touchdown, then it doesn't matter. That's fine, too. But to your point, Jake, you go for the throat there in Josh Allen's mentality because that's a throw he makes probably nine times out of ten now i'm going to in terms of the nfl over the weekend i'm going to disagree with andy sweeney from this morning um i think the lion story is great i think for people with with do the lions have really any other than other nfc north teams and even then i mean do the lions really have like arch enemies from a fan base standpoint so if you're a fan of an nfl team that you know, the Arizona Cardinals, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, maybe that's a bad example because that's a divisional rival, but, you know, the, the Atlanta Falcons, the New York Jets, if you're a fan, the Indianapolis Colts, if you're a fan of a team that is not alive and thus you have no rooting interest in the playoffs itself, you got to root for Detroit, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, just because they've been, come on, like it's as hard, like literally. There's it's team it's, of destiny vibes around them to the point that you can't not root for them if I mean you it kind of feels like they've hit it's fitting that they play in an indoor stadium because it feels like you can see the ceiling right and it's probably this like do you think they're going to go in and win in San Francisco probably not I mean I I it feels very I don't know what the line was but last night I thought it was like seven or eight in favor of San Francisco I think it's going to be a close game I really do I, I do too get a but I, like I but still I I think that the pressure they can put on on Jared Goff and just you know it's going to be Tough sledding for Detroit, for sure. There's no pressure on Detroit. If you're, a, if you're a person that views pressure as mattering, like, yeah, I get it, the weight of the city, and that's fine. And maybe you argue, well, no, they could finally get to a Super Bowl. Of course there's pressure. Not to the extent of 
San Francisco. San Francisco is the same vibes of every other contender in this four or five year window where this is supposed to be like the redemption for Kyle Shanahan, the Niners, and they're finally going to get there and get it done at home. I know some people don't like the narrative of house money, but there's a feel of that around Detroit. Like you, you have literally well, nothing to lose on Sunday. This from Nick. I'm a lifelong Packers fan. Go Detroit. I, I mean, here's the. There is no Jimmy Cook. I will ask you. All right. What sport? What annual sporting event draws in the interest from non regular fans of said sport? More than any other. Super Bowl. Well, the right it's hard to argue because the TV numbers for that would say so. I'm talking about an annual event that the office rallies around. Everybody gets involved. March Madness. Every, correct. Right? Yeah. And what does everybody love about March Madness? The Cinderella, baby. The underdog. March Madness is made, and, and you know, it's funny because truthfully when the Cinderella... Cinderella's have a have a shelf. Cinderella had a shelf life, right? We knew Cinderella Midnight, right? The same is true for Cinderella stories. Sure. We in sports, in sports, we love a Cinderella story, but we want we don't want it to screw up our championships. So in the in March Madness, we love St. Mary's and Gonzaga when they first broke through, and. You know the, the 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 schools that made George Northern Mason. Iowa, George Mason, all of those, right? But George Mason was an unbelievable story when they got to the Final Four, and then they played in the semifinals, and the ratings tanked because people are like, hey, "Come on, I want to see Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA." And the kind of the same is true here in the NFL. Like it's hard to say in the NFL that you could have a Cinderella because it's the eight thousand pound gorilla. So even the team that gets no love and no attention is getting massive love and attention in comparison to other sports. But the Detroit Lions are the Northern Iowa, George Mason, St. Mary's of the NFL because it's been forever since they've been. I wouldn't even say forever. Like they've never been relevant. Even when they had Barry Sanders, they weren't relevant. They played on. It was like, oh yeah, the team that gets beat on Thanksgiving every year, <laughs> and has that poor Barry Sanders. Like the entire narrative of the Detroit Lions is literally the fact that they've had the greatest running back and arguably the greatest receiver of the last thirty years, and both retired early, and no one blamed them for it. So you got to be happy for them, right? Yeah. And I think most people are like, yeah, San Francisco, like. That's just one of those franchises you always hear about. So I think most people that don't have a rooting interest either, you know, other than San Francisco are like, yeah, let's go go Detroit. You, go look Lions. At the, you look at the Niners and you see a team that has championships already in the trophy case. They've done stuff in terms of success for most people's living memory that's recent enough to where you look at Detroit and you say, oh, remember that NBC graphic where they're showing what types of cars were popular when the Lions last were in conference right. championship games? It was great. They had like the Model T and they were just going through the list and then you got to like the Ford Bronco and that was about it. The Ford Bronco, baby. Let me tell you. the So the Lions in 1991, well actually it would have been January of 92, would have been in the NFC Championship game. The, the Ford Bronco was a popular car and it had a shelf life of about two more years before finally the most famous Buffalo Bill ruined it for everybody. And then O.J. Simpson took one and went on the I-5 and it was like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's shift towards the, uh, the Navigator or you know, the, the, what was the other, uh, not expedition. What was the Ford, the big Ford car for a long time there? 
Not Lincoln Navigator. Is it Expedition? Ford Expedition? Anyway, the, the Bronco kind of went. I think you're right. Yeah. Went by the wayside. It's um, back now. Total redesign, but it's it's back now. I like the the new ones. The, it, yeah. It's the old Bronco 2, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are, I like those. Actually. Nice. Um, Kansas City Steve had invited you, Jimmy Cook, to a Chiefs watch party, but you opted not to go, right? Yeah, we have a thing. Like I'm only a Chiefs fan because I was born into it from my oldest brother and or one of my older brothers rather, and uh, we went to his house like we do every Chiefs game and watched it there. So I did appreciate the invite. I hope it was a raucous time at Dave and Buster's. Now, how many people were at your watch party? Uh, eight. And is it like super nervous cussing? Yes. Yes. Is there alcohol consumed? There is a little bit of alcohol consumed, yes. There may or may not be a pregame and postgame shot, depending on how things go. So, Eddie, did you have a good weekend? I did. Got to spend another day with you. That's always fun. Yes. I'm sure you were thrilled. Uh, we did Indiana Sports Talk together on Saturday evening, correct? Correct. And we were supposed to have Paul Corsaro, the head basketball coach of you, not supposed to, but he typically calls in on that program, but was unable to do so, Eddie, because... He and his wife, Brooke, welcomed their first child into the world. He got a win, then he got another win. That's a win-win, baby, right? Yeah. Congrats, Coach Sarah. That's awesome. Now, you last night, Eddie, would have been uh, running the board for the Pacer game, correct? Correct. All right. Your overall thoughts now, they went, what were they, two and four on the road trip? Yes. I thought last night actually was somewhat encouraging, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, a loss is a loss. I get it. But they just, man, it was frustrating down the stretch in the last few minutes of that game. They had so many chances to take the lead. I think it was four straight possessions where they were trying to get the lead. They eventually did. Buddy Heald hit a three that got them the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, just, you know, actually it was, as much as we talk about Kevin Durant, who was great, it was Bradley Beal last night that I thought was really big down the stretch. Yeah, I would agree for you with that as well. And the end of that game kind of felt like a playoff game in this aspect of, Every time Phoenix had the ball, after they went down 103-102, they hit their next five shots. Four of those came where they were switching uh, the Pacers defensively, and Phoenix was hunting out Buddy Heald, and they were just attacking Buddy Heald religiously. They scored four straight times on Buddy when he was in uh, defense, and then they subbed out Buddy Heald and put in um, Ben Shepard at the end. But like you said, you have to be you know just encouraged with the fight because – Obviously, Phoenix has those three stars. They're on, I think, a five-game winning streak now. Uh, and the Pacers were hanging in there without their best player. And I was just a little bit frustrated because final five minutes of that game, uh, Pascal Siakam doesn't get a post-up, doesn't get an offensive set run for him. So you just trade for this guy who's a two-time All-NBA, two-time All-Star, but you don't get him involved when you need him most going down the stretch when you need a bucket. Uh, Ford Explorer, by the way. Thank you to everybody mm-hmm. that pointed that out to me. Ford Explorer. I don't know why I had a, a brain fade on that. Um, Because I loved Ford Explorers back in the day. Absolutely loved Ford Explorers back in the day. Uh, As for the Colts, by the way, Mike Chappell going to join us at 1 o'clock today. Um, Look, the reality is this. There has been no update, nor do I anticipate that there will be one by all account uh, of late on the health condition of Jim Irsay. This is not a big town, and so... You know, there are always rumors or innuendos that, that fly around. I'm sure many people have probably heard some variation of different rumors. You know how those things work and how that how that operates. Um, 
And so you have to go on the baseline from a responsibility standpoint of what we do know to be definitive. And what we know to be definitive is that the Colts had said a few weeks ago that Jim Irsay was battling an upper respiratory illness and that his uh, condition, according to Chris Ballard, was stable. And that is the most recent thing that has been reported. And the Colts since then have essentially said there is no update. And I understand that. I understand that he's the owner of the franchise. So, you know, I mean, the people who are are issuing that, I mean, you know, you you have to trust what they are telling you. Um, And I would assume that at some point, at some point, there will be an update. But for right now, um, their word is that there is no update on the condition of Jim Irsay. Obviously, you hope for the best for that, not only because he is a very likable and philanthropic individual, but also just for the stability of the franchise itself here within Indianapolis and what he means as truly, you know, there are there are some owners that are not day-to-day involved. Um, Jim Irsay is and very involved. And I think maybe there might have even already been some areas where you would think that if he was in the building – Things might have been handled differently just in terms of coming off of the season itself. But we shall see where things go moving forward from that. But Mike Chappell going to join us about 1 o'clock. We'll talk not only about just the Colts in general, but also um, what exactly transpires in this period when you know, you're know you kind of sitting back. It's just so odd, right, as a franchise because all of a sudden the season's just over and you're like the people that were running with Forrest Gump where you're in the middle of the desert. And you're like, well, now what? Now, now what do we do? And – where, you know, what what are the operations for the Colts right now? That's one of the things we'll talk about with Mike Chappell. But when we come back, he is the voice, the radio voice of the Indiana Hoosiers who had a disappointing game in Wisconsin on Friday night. Don Fisher joins us, and he does so in just a couple of minutes. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Indiana has some time off, actually, before they will be in Illinois coming up on the 27th. That's a 3 o'clock start on Saturday, coming off of their loss at Wisconsin. Don Fisher, the radio voice of Indiana, joins us now on the program. And Don, um, I guess I'll go right to the elephant in the room here. I I agreed with you and I was watching the Indiana game and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Don, but I I think people misconstrued when you had said about being embarrassed. I heard you say for them. And I think by that, it's just, there's an expectation that at this level of basketball, there needs to be a greater discipline with your emotions over the course of the game. But your, your overall expansion, if you could. Well, quite simply this. Um, two, two situations like that in the last two weeks uh, it frustrated me. And it frustrated me because these players have been told about this. They've been warned that you don't do these kinds of things. Um, every player gets that indoctrination when he comes to school. And obviously it's happened twice. Now, granted, I didn't think the, after I got to see the replay, the small, the uh, slow motion replay of CJ's uh, situation, I didn't think that was as egregious as I thought it was in real time. 
but it still can't happen. And so I was I was embarrassed not not about the team, not about the play of the game, nothing about that at all. It was about the situation taking place for a second time, and I just felt like that needed to be said. But I didn't probably put it in quite the terms because everything was misconstrued, like I was blasting the team and all that kind of thing. That's not what I was doing. Don, did you, you know, after the fact, look, I think Don Fisher is probably the pillar of the most respected member of the Indiana basketball program, quite frankly. I think the fan base would absolutely say that. Um, and I did not, and I apologize for it, get to hear the post game. I was listening to the game, but I didn't hear the post game. Um, did Mike Woodson say anything to you about it? Yeah, we talked We talked about the fact that it happened, and he says we can't have that kind of thing happening. He's, I mean, he was – and and he I, – I know he said something a little bit different in the post-game media press conference, but in our pro, post-game, he simply said we can't have these kinds of things going on. They just it can't happen again, something like that. So I'm paraphrasing now. But, yeah, he he was contrite in that sense as well. With that, Don, you know, one of the guys that, that – and I hate to pick on a, on a player. I mean, these are college players. I get it. But at the same time, it is a little bit different now with an IL and everything else. Um, I know he's been injured, but – and we've talked about it. It's been a theme here. Is it time for Indiana to start getting different rotational backcourt players aside from Xavier Johnson? In other words, and I hate to say it this way and sound like I'm, I'm kicking a guy when he's down, but if it hasn't kind of jump-started for Xavier Johnson at this point, is it going to? Well, I can't answer that question. I'm not the coach, and I can't make those decisions because he sees them in practice. He sees what he wants to see, uh, and without question, uh, you know, it's up to him to make those decisions. That's not up to me for a broadcaster to make that kind of a statement. So I can't honestly, Jake, and I, I apologize for not being able to answer it, but I'm answering it truthfully. I, I don't know. That's, that's up to the coach. It's up to the coaching staff and their decisions as they make them come, going forward. Is there any update, Don, on, I guess, just the health status of Kalel Weir? My understanding is turned his ankle. I would assume that was in a practice because – that kind of was a surprise, I think, that he was not available for Wisconsin. But do we know where things stand for that? I, I don't. Uh, I, you know, I know that he he did. Uh, he obviously injured himself in a practice session. Uh, he had a boot on. Um, he, I think he was even on crutches at one point. I, I don't know if it was that significant. All I can tell you is they're trying to be as cautious with him as they can be, which is what the doctors always tell them to do in those situations. But I haven't heard any update. Don. There's a 9-0 run by Indiana first five minutes of that second half to get them within, I think, seven. And then like two minutes later, the, the gun incident happens. When you look back at, at where things got squirrely and got away from them, where it's such a, a big loss on paper, do you point to that gun incident or was it a larger just thing starting to pile on for them and Wisconsin being a pretty darn good ball club in their own right? Well, there's no question. Wisconsin's really good. Um, but, but there's no doubt that that started the downfall. And when, when somebody gets kicked out of a ball game, it's not just affecting that player. It affects your basketball team. Let's face it. That's just the facts. And to have it, again, have it, have, have, have it, happen, have it happen a second time in two weeks, uh, that is frustrating by, beyond belief for the coaching staff, and for the rest of the team. And there's no doubt about it that it had a factor. 
Um, this, you know, Indiana was able to score a bunch of points in the second half, and they hung with Wisconsin the rest of the way. In fact, outscored them by a point in the second half. But the damage was already done, and obviously that situation didn't help because Indiana was on a drive at that point, or at least they were playing better than they had earlier in the ball game. But as Mike Woodson said at the postgame show, you can't give up 91 points yeah. and expect to beat anybody. And and offense was very good in that ball game. At least it was it was more more so than what we saw in the first half, and certainly better than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. But you, you've got to play better than that, and you got to play that through the ball game for 40 minutes. You just can't take that in one segment of the contest. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, nice enough to take some time with us. Don, you'd mentioned in one of Jake's earlier questions the conversations you had post game with Mike Woodson, and you obviously have addressed it. Expressed your frustration with a play of flagrant fouls becoming a consistent part of this team at this stretch of the season. Do you get the sense, based on those conversations and just the overall vibe around the program that this is something that's correctable, that it can be further ingrained where, I mean, accidents happen, right? Like you're not going to say if it's an accidental call that, you know, it's in the same vein, but is it to a point where the message is clear this can't be a thing? Oh, there's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I know that that message has been transferred. <laughs> so uh, without question, it can't happen again. There's just no doubt. And this ball club, I think, knows that. I think the players now know it. Not that they didn't know it before, uh, but I, I, I would tell you that the proper actions or reactions to that situation have uh, definitely been addressed. Don, to be, you know, I, I was curious of this, and I want your perspective on it. Don Fisher is our, our guest, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, that took that comment from you. I, I, I'm not trying to be you, but I'm. But if it were me, I would have been almost surprised or incredulous at the the resonation that that had. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm seeing it like in headlines everywhere. What was your reaction to the reaction? Well, as you know, Jake, I am not on any social media, anywhere, any place, any time. Never will be. It's not my thing. I just don't. I don't like it. Uh, everybody's got uh, you know a comment or something that they can be said and. There's not anything that anybody I, – I, look, from my perspective, and my frustration was with getting a second situation like that in two weeks, and it upset me. And it upset me on not, not just for myself. It upset – I think it upsets our program. I think it upsets the Hoosier Nation. I think it upsets the coaching staff. I think it upsets the rest of the players on the team. You don't want that to occur because then you get a reputation – uh, so from my perspective, that was, that was the frustration I had with it. I probably didn't express myself probably as, as, as well as I could at that point. But uh, obviously I said what I said. People took it to the way they wanted it to mean, but it had nothing to do with the coaching staff or the team at that point. It was simply that scenario taking place for a second time. And, Don, here's the thing. I, I grew up a huge Indiana basketball fan, right? And in that moment, I think you spoke for a lot of people. I, I mean, I'm not here to try to carry your water, but I don't think you, you should apologize for it because I think it was a raw emotion and a raw observation, and I think it's one that like 99.9% of people watching thought. I do kind of agree with you that after the fact, when I watched the replay of C.J. Gunn, I thought it probably should have been a – I mean, it looked like he was provoked a little bit, and it wasn't – it was almost like a get-me-space kind of movement from him. But, you, but still – 
there has to be a maturity level that comes into play there, and I thought that the emotion of the observation was totally fair and accurate. Um, well, I, I appreciate that, but, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, we all, you know, when something like that happens, uh, you've got to handle yourself with a little bit more esprit de corps, so to speak, and and with the proper explanation. I don't think that I probably said it in the proper fashion, but at the same time, it, it is what I felt. In terms of a positive, Don, to not be completely negative about what happened, although it's obviously frustrating with Wisconsin, I want to end with this. Uh, I continue to be impressed by just the overall game-to-game approach and I'll say professionalism, even though I know it's technically an amateur sport, of Malik Renew. I, I just think that this guy, um, with pieces around him that it sometimes maybe falls short of what he would, would need from a supporting cast, he seems to me to be a guy that just brings the lunch pail every single day. But you see it more than I do. Is that a fair assessment? No, it is. There's no question. I've said this to you, and I've said it to anybody that wanted to listen or ask me a question about this, that I think Malik is without question the most improved player in this basketball team. And I would argue that right now he's probably the best player in this basketball team. He is playing so well. He scores 28 in that Wisconsin ball game. He just busted his tail the entire time. Um, he's starting to get fewer fouls, as, as was evidenced in that ball game. Uh, he's just a great kid. He's just a great young man, a really good basketball player. And I know he's as frustrated as anybody that Indiana is in this losing curve here the last couple of ball games that they've had playing like they have. And uh, he's trying to do his part, and there's no doubt that he's doing that. Is there any player, Don, in conclusion here that, and I don't mean this as a, as a negative per se, but is there a guy on this particular roster that is having to, is being put maybe out of position of where their actual strength is, and so therefore the, their level of play is not totally indicative of what they might be able to bring to the table because they're having to fill a void or play a, a spot or a position that isn't normally what they should be doing within the structure of the team. If, I, I can't, and I can answer that. I'm not the coach. Uh, I think they're what they're doing with the with the players on their ball club is what they think their strengths and their weaknesses might be. And, again, that, that's uh, all speculative. But I'd be, I'm not a coach, Jake. I haven't been, never have. <laughs> I'm not an ex of old guy, as you probably have heard me say before. Um, but from my standpoint, uh, I think they're doing the best they can with what they have. And, unfortunately, right now it hasn't been enough in the last two ball games. And, hopefully, that, this eight days that they've got in between ball games, I think, is critical, especially under the circumstances and at this time of year. And it gives them a chance to regroup and maybe look in the mirror a little bit. And maybe that'll help. Well, I hope you get a chance to enjoy some of the eight days off, Don. Maybe get some golf <laughs> in if you can do that in like 20-degree weather. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm not going to swing a club outdoors right now. It's gonna I was going to say, hey, 45 degrees in two days, Don. Come on, put yeah. on the sweatpants. Yeah, 45 isn't even good enough for me these days. The old bones <laughs> won't take it. I hear you. Uh, Indiana in action on Saturday at Illinois. That's, of course, the 27th, 3 o'clock tip, and Don Fisher will be on the call. You can hear it on our sister station, 93 WIBC. Don, I appreciate the candor, the explanation, and coming on and joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, and, and I listen, like I said, I agree with him. And, and I had several people that were like, look, you don't have to – I like this text that I got. Um, as Don was talking – Somebody sends me this. J- 
Jake, Don doesn't need to walk back a damn thing. As a huge Hoosier fan since I uh, was a baby, I'm hoping that he, being brutally honest, will finally open some eyes and change some things. It's like knowing your parent is disappointed in you. It should matter and motivate some of the positive change. At least that's my hope. I love IU hoops, but they've lost me. I did have a lot of people, and fans are fans. People say all the time, like, that's it, I'm done. I, I'm done with it. I'm not watching anymore. And then, you know, they always come back, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody comes back. But but I do think, Jimmy, that there were people that were – I think Don Fisher spoke for everybody in that moment of, look, this is – I just think people were over it. They're 13-7. and seven. They've lost two straight. And with Indiana basketball, it's it's just – it seems consistently one step forward, two steps back. And I think that there is – it comes down to this. There are so many people that watch a team – and when you watch and you're a fan of a team, typically that means that you grew up with this great passion and admiration and deep down you wanted to play for that team and you weren't good enough. That that's the case for so many Indiana fans. Like I you know, I grew up in Indiana and I wanted to play for Indiana, but I wasn't good enough. And so so your your one hope is that the players that are given the opportunity, and I don't care whether it's Indiana, Purdue, Butler, what whoever your team is, your your hope as a fan is that you are a fan for a reason because it is passionately embedded inside of you. And what you, the, the least thing you ask or want or hope for is that the players that are given the opportunity that you never had take advantage of it and play with a passion that you have as, as the person watching in your living room. And you got your painted face and you're at the sports bar and you're wearing your jersey and you call in radio shows and you, you get on social media and you make your contributions financially and then you see guys that go out there and just, in your opinion and in your perception, take it for granted and you're like, why am I doing this? I love this team and they don't love me back. And in Indiana's case, I think there are guys on that team that – and it has nothing to do with being born and raised in Indiana. We're not xenophobes here in Indiana or Purdue or whatever school you root for, but you want players that at the very least look like they have an appreciation and understanding of the opportunity afforded them that fans themselves were never afforded. So when you see a guy that seemingly takes advantage of that or doesn't care or dismisses the passion of it, then quite frankly, people get PO'd over it. And I get it, and I totally understand it. And when Don Fisher says that, I think the vast majority of people hear it and go, amen, brother. Say it louder for the people in the back. Yeah, I want to echo your sentiment on that, Jake, that Don, is, as he mentions in the quote, seen 51 years worth of Indiana basketball. And if anybody is worthy to have that type of weight on their words, make a comment like that, it's Don Fisher, and I'm with you. I don't think he owes an apology to anybody. In fact, I feel like from the broadcaster side of things, the cap should be tipped to him because it takes a level of composure to even phrase it the way that he phrased it. Because with what's happened the last couple of weeks, it would be very easy for that to have been a a far more critical statement than it was just an observation of where things are at right now for the program. And as you mentioned, I think speaks for a lot of Hoosier fans, myself included. Yeah, it just it just feels different. It just does. I mean, things down there just feel different. And I think there's disappointment because I think people felt like they were handing the keys to the house over to a guy that was familiar with the furniture layout. And it feels like that guy's just walking through the house and not noticing that the paint's chipping. And quite frankly, it's disappointing. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Now, do we have sunshine outside? Can we see? Jimmy, can you look and see? It looks check distorted. Up here. <laughs> I'm looking here. Cloudy. Have you seen, though, like 50 degrees coming up here, right? I can't wait. Might break out the shorts. It's a heat wave. Now, it's going to rain, though. Uh-huh. By the way, speaking of rain and flood, uh, we got to get on this, okay? All right. Mike Chappell going to join us here a couple minutes. Uh, Matthew, our friend in Maine. For those that don't know, Matthew is a listener of the program who was a diehard Patriots fan, and Adam Vinatieri was Matthew's favorite player. So when Vinatieri came to Indianapolis, Matthew became a Colts fan. And then Matthew, living in Maine, started following like kind of all things Indianapolis, including finally coming this year to the mini marathon and doing the mini. And Matthew had called in. Matthew in Maine had, you know, they had terrible weather about a month ago and flooding in, in Maine where Matthew's essentially house was wiped out due to a flood. And so Matthew decided, you know what, like enough's enough. The gods are sending me a signal. I'm going to move to Indianapolis. So Matthew uh, sent me them. And I had, I had made this suggestion. This was my suggestion. This was not Matthew asking for this. I want to be very clear of that. Um, But I know from following Matthew on social media that Matthew lost, you know, I mean, literally his home was flooded out in a natural disaster in Maine where, I mean, it was literally a, a state of emergency in the state of Maine. So Matthew's moving to Indianapolis on February 1st. And I had said, look, you let me know what we will put together people to make contributions and donations. Um, and so Matthew basically needs essentially everything. Now, table and chairs, uh, dishes, pots and pans, couch, TV and entertainment stand, uh, a nightstand, laundry basket. Some of this is pretty easy. End table, a step stool, a lamp and a dresser. So basically, you know, and Matthew sent video. I mean, Matthew is not lying. Matthew's furniture and everything, it was gone. It was wiped out uh, due to the flood in Maine. So I will do it probably on social media here within the next week, but we're going to put it together between contributions people can make or furniture that you have that you might be able to donate, and we're going to get Matthew's place uh, furnished for him so that it is unlocked. Turn the key and ready to go, right? Because that's what, if nothing else, we should put the company on it, right? That's right. Agreed. My parents just recently moved out of their house. I think we may have some uh, tables, chairs. See, that'd what, be huge. You name it. That'd be huge. I know that Plates, we've got um, silverware. We have like a Shannon has like a TV, kind of a TV table, end table. So we got that covered, right? I'm sure uh, somebody had mentioned that they would be willing to contribute like a gift card to IKEA. So we might be able to get something there. But I think between the listeners of the program, most people have my cell phone number. Um, and they can let me know how if they have any of that stuff. But I will eventually put it up on Twitter, and we'll get kind of a head count on what we have. And Matthew's not asking for much. I know what Matthew has just in terms of the residents here. Um, but that's, in my opinion, that like that's what we do, right? If if you if if we are all together every day from noon to three, then I think we have a responsibility occasionally to put it to use and help some people out. So we're going to try to do it for Matthew. Mike Chappell is longtime writer of the Indianapolis Colts and joins us next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. One o'clock hour underway. Jerry Query along with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well. It's Query and Company on 93.5-1075. The fan joining us now from CBS WTTV4 and WXIN59 is Mike Chappell. Um, Chappell, I'll, I'll get kind of like I did with Don. We'll get the elephant in the room, I guess, out of the way off the top. Uh, I had said earlier, so I'm just going to ask you to basically fill in blanks or correct where I may be wrong. Basically, what I just said, I don't know, 30 minutes ago or so, is that while this is a small town where word flies around and things, you know, the old the old phone drill takes place. Um, the word from the Indianapolis Colts, at least the latest, is that there would be no imminent update on the health status of Jim Irsay, and therefore that would be the one that, responsibly speaking, we go with. That pretty much consistent with what you would hear or say? That's that's what I know, and I know people think we should have more firm information. This is, uh, right now, it's a family issue, and they're keeping this as close to the vest as they can. And I'm sure, th- you know, I've heard things, you've heard things, but until we hear from the team, no, this is, this is where we are. And I, I'm not going to speculate any further. You know, Mike, um, and, and we'll get on to talking about the divisional playoffs, but I wanted to touch on this. You've covered the team for a very long time. Um, and there does become, I mean, obviously there's football implications with Jim Mersey not being around the franchise or in a health situation. But I do think at the core, we should reemphasize for people, and you can do it better than I because you know him much more personally I, you know, than I do. But while Jim Mersey has had his challenges by his own admission and his own demons, at the core, he is a very well-intended and I think philanthropic and selfless individual. Agree? Well, yeah, and people see the the main things, the cancer research at IU, the Rileys and, and the, the homeless and, and abuse and the kicking the stigma and, you know, the Ursa YMCA and all that. But how many times, and, and this is at a lower level, that he's at training camp throwing around $100 bills. And there was something, was it in Jacksonville on the road where he gave some, some of the, the – the, uh, the, the maids' money that we're making up rooms and all this, and that's kind of who he is, and he's as genuine as it, as it can be. He just is, and part of that is driven by just who he is. Part of it's driven by, you know, the, the more that's given to you, the more you need to to give and pay it forward, and that's that's him. And, and yes, he's quirky and all this stuff, but at his heart, he. he that, that's who he is. We, I sat down with him going into August. This was the 40th year uh, of the franchise in Indy, and he was very open about things. And it was more it was more football and all this. But he said, "This is home." He said, "When they moved here, this was home." One of his daughters was born here. I think it was Carly. I, I get my daughters mixed up, and I apologize. One was born in. Dallas, one was born in Baltimore, and then, and he's got the grandkids, and he said, this is home. You know, his father's buried at Crown Hill, and he said, I've got plots there, and, you know, so, so this is home, and, and he said, when, and when you're at a home, you give back to the community. That's just what you do, 
and and I think some of some of the, the the areas that he's he and his daughters have focused on are driven by the problems they've had in their family, not just him, but I mean his dad was an alcoholic, and you know, and he he dealt with that and learned from that, and you know, and then he's got his own demons that he's dealt with but that's who he is and if people want to you know go down different roads about about how he isn't that then that's fine and then go ahead if you want to but at his heart he's a he's a giving person and he he wants the best for the community and the people around him the dean mike chapel of fox and nine and cbs4 is our guest chap looking at personnel aspects for the Colts, but this time on staff versus the rumor mill that is free agency that we know is always continuous, but we're actually getting into hiring season from a coach's standpoint. Uh, There was a couple reports that started, I think, from a local reporter in Philly, and then Mike Garofalo had picked it up that if the Eagles offensive coordinator and Brian Johnson is let go or takes a job elsewhere, who will fill that void? Jim Bob Cooter's name has come up in those reports. Uh, Whether or not, I guess, A, have you heard anything like that? And B, if you haven't, if that was to play out, would you see Jim Bob Cooter being a good fit in Philly if that was to happen? Well, I guess the first thing is the Colts would have to align to right. interview, right. correct? Right. I mean, yes. he's un- I would assume he's. Yes. these guys normally sign two-year deals. Right. Whether or not the Colts would hold a coach who – and this is, let's just say Jim Bob would be interested. Do you keep a coach from doing that? I don't know. I, there have been times that teams have not allowed the guys – to take lateral moves, and I guess you can get around lateral moves by making a guy a, an assistant head coach or whatever. You can kind of get around it. But maybe Jim Bob would. I don't know. I mean, he's got a young, intriguing quarterback here to, to, to deal with and, and see how far you can take, take him. I saw that, and, you know, I it, it's it's just speculation. And right. We're, we're in, I'm glad that I watch all this going on now, and I, I, I'm not even remotely sorry that the Colts aren't going through this like we did last year because it just wears your butt down day after day after day of interviews. And, yeah, they interviewed, what was it, 30 people? I mean, you know, they interviewed so many people last year. So if someone has an interest, I think that's internally you decide whether you want to let a guy – make a move or not if he's on your staff under contract. Do you think Frank Reich would want to be an OC again somewhere? Good question. I, I Part of me thinks that Frank needs to step away for a year and just, just take a breath. He can certainly, you know, he has the opportunity with the way things have gone out contract-wise and financial-wise. I think, he's, I think he'll get back in it. I think if he gets back in it, it will be as an OC. I think he's really good. He was in a really bad situation here that he was part of. Let's not, you know, he, he was part of why things went wrong here with the quarterbacks. Whether he was part of the problem in Carolina, I, I, I sort of think not. I sort of think that they thrust someone upon him and said, "Make this work," and he said, "Okay, we'll see what we can do." I think yes. I, I think he's he comes back somewhere as a as an OC because I, I think he's that good in the right situation you know speaking of coaches that we're familiar with here in Indianapolis Mike Mike Chappell our guest um do you think the seat's warm at all for Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia and is it 
someone and I, who I like. I mean, I don't know him well, but when I've been around him, I like him a lot. I think people here like him. But is there an indictment on him also that that with coordinators going and he's kind of on his own there, that that's when things started to dip a little bit? Well, I would think, is he on a hot seat? Well, I mean, I would think that if they were going to fire him, they would have fired him. Uh, we're seeing things now that he's letting defensive coordinators go and, and, and uh, Matt Patricia, who's not under contracts, not supposed to come back. Well, if you're letting him have a hand in those decisions, then he must be having a hand in rebuilding his staff. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not plugged into Philly, but everybody sort of panned him for the uh, elevating Matt Patricia uh, to, to play calling, which whether that whether they would have been that bad with, with the D.C. or whatever, it didn't work. And it, it never it never it, it always looked like a panic move when you do that and it doesn't work. Now, when it works, you say it was a stroke of genius. When it doesn't work, you say that was stupid. But I just would think that that if they were going to clean house, they would have done it. They wouldn't. You, you, we wouldn't start getting these drip drabs of coaching firings or removals or whatever. So, you know, and, and again, you've got to decide. We, we've talked about this with teams in free agency. It's easy to fire people. It's it's easy to cut players and all this. Then, then you got to replace them. So. You don't fire Nick Sirianni unless you think that Plan B is better. And again, that collapse was historic, considering Super Bowl last year and what was it, ten and one, and then they they look like one of the worst teams in the league. Well, that's on the head coach. It is. It's 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 his job somehow to to stop the bleeding somehow. And boy, if they just could have found a way to, you know, bounce back in the first round of the playoffs, and they didn't, they were as bad then as they were during their collapse. But you better be darn sure the guy you're bringing in is better. And there's a few people out there, obviously the Belichicks and the Harbaugh's and maybe and Brable. Brable's out there. This is as this is as good a free agency class of head coaches as I can remember. It really is. And you, I, I don't know what, what's the first domino to fall. Is it Belichick? Is it Harbaugh? I, maybe it's Harbaugh. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to go with a curveball here. You ready? Okay. I have nothing to base this on, Mike, at all. But I know that'll stun you to know that I'm just speaking from the hip here. Mike Vrabel to Seattle will be the first domino. Really? That's okay. A- well, I mean, yeah, maybe. Uh, I've not heard much about Seattle and who who they've talked with. Uh, it seems like so much has been focused on how many times, like in Atlanta, how many times do you need to talk to Bill Belichick? I know. I mean, he, he has interviewed in Atlanta 17 times, I'd be right? insulted at this point if I was Belichick. Well, he's, but, but he's doing it for a reason. I mean, what do you, what, what's he say? He said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy with six Super Bowls and, you know, I'm, I need 15 wins. And, oh, by the way, I kicked your ass when you you were ahead of me 28-3. I don't know what what what's his second interview. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. So uh, he can pick where he wants to go, and would he go? Would he go to Atlanta, where they got some really really good talent? And who the hell is their quarterback? Well, that's the thing is they've got good talent, but they're missing it at the at the best posi- at the most important position, right? And we've seen what happens when he doesn't have a quarterback. You know, whether call, it's yeah. Cleveland or it, it's just so I I don't know, but. And again, Vrabel, I, I, you know what you're going to get if you get him. You're going to sort of get 
unless he changes his ways, you're going to get the way you build a team is through the way they did it in Tennessee. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just really, really interesting. And I, I, I don't know who the first domino is, but I, I, I get the impression that once one falls, they'll all start falling because that's just the way it works. And I don't know which the first one is. Maybe it's Harbaugh, maybe it's Belichick. But why you have second interviews with Belichick and it doesn't include, and we have a press conference on Tuesday, I don't get it. Mike, do you get the impression, you know, Anthony Richardson seems like a pretty level-headed young guy and uh, certainly, you know, did all the right things, I think, this year in his rookie year, even though it was obviously then stunted by the injury. Does the play and the arrival of C.J. Stroud put pressure on Anthony Richardson? Oh, probably. I mean, only that <laughs> the pressure's there because he's got to be the guy. For the Colts and for for Indy, he's got he's got to be that what Stroud has done, and maybe he would have been. I mean, we saw quite a bit of good stuff. Of course, it was only four games, and that blurs everything. But I, I've said from the start that from, from what I saw, he gives you a lot of reason to believe that he is. And certainly with C.J. Stroud, one staying on the field, except for was it two games of the concussion, and what he did. Different players, obviously, but similar situations with the rookie coach and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there's pressure because of that, but but it, it, there there was immense pressure anyway. He had Richardson has to be the guy. He just does because if not, then you're looking at gosh, four, five, six years of of, of trying to find the guy. And we saw how hard that is, and in how difficult it is to be competitive week after week when you don't have the guy. So the pressure was there more because of CJ Shad, maybe probably yes, probably. Uh, and again, until I'm going to write about it sometime this week later, but it, it's all going to be about, you know, staying healthy. And I, I totally understand the concerns with the injuries. I can explain all of them. You know, to where I'm not really concerned, but until he plays 15, 16, 17 games, you have that concern. But I always go back to the same thing that we've talked about here. They knew who he was when they drafted him. Not not that he, you know, that he's brittle. That's that's BS. That's BS. They knew this is who he was. I watch games with Lamar Jackson and some of the stuff Josh Allen does, extending plays and getting loose for 30 yards. That, that's what this guy can do. And you pair him with a running back like they've got and, if they up, and the offensive line played well. So I really like the future, but, but yeah, pressure. the pressure was there from the start. It just was and probably increased just a notch because of what the guy did in Houston. Mike Chappell, covers the Colts, the Dean for Foxy 9 and CBS 4. Chap, you tweeted about this last night. And it was, of course, through you, like a lot of us, reacting to the divisional round games. There's a couple different areas we can go with this conversation, but I'll start first with this. Do you think there'll ever be anything in the history of the NFL as you cover this sport that will allow you to ever forget the Colts' fake pun against the Patriots? Because you brought it up again last night when they run with DeMar Hamlin. The greatest nine player in the, the history field. of the NFL. <laughs> Well, I, I brought it up because I retweeted it. Right. I didn't. I, Kevin Clark I tweeted the picture. On, right, right. I don't have that on Get Save. I try to put that behind me. <laughs> but uh, whenever somebody brings up 
stupid punt things. I'm thinking, no, this is, you know, whatever you got, you're number two behind what they ran. But I thought that was – they said, well, they had ten guys on the field. So what? Unless you had like six guys on defense, what, what are you doing? And then they get bailed out by the Ugh. fumble touchback. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing that it doesn't take a whole lot for somebody. And I, I kind of give these guys credit that they have these uh, photos and videos at, at their fingertip that they can grab it so quick and get it on there because I laugh. But uh, it's one of those where you say, yeah, you've got a picture. I was there. <laughs> we, we watched it unfold. We tried to talk to these guys after the game. We tried to talk to Chuck to say, what the hell were you doing? And you tried to talk to Griff and Colt Anderson. But that's it, it's you know it was a moment when it's still a moment. You know, it's like, it's like it hit me when uh, Buffalo converted fourth and three with that swing pass to the to the I think it was a receiver yeah out of the backfield and I'm thinking if, if the Colts complete that I you know they still had to score a touchdown but it just shows you execute Look, chap here's the reality in this town you had the Raymond Butler touchdown to beat Pittsburgh in year 1 you got the Marlon Jackson interception you know you got the Kelvin Hayden interception to seal the Super Bowl I in the NFL, you've got the immaculate reception. You've got the yep. Bart Starr sneak. It's the greatest play in the history of the NFL. The the fake punt. Yep. I mean, it's the great. It is literally the greatest. Sixty years from now, some guy's going to be doing radio here in Indianapolis, and they're going to be like, "Do you, you know that? Have you ever seen that play they ran like sixty five years?" Chaps, do you have the authority. Do you have the authority to get that in Canton? It's not already there. Like, do you have that type it be, of, of it, power? It may be there, like in, in in that in that room in the back room where they put things that no one wants to talk <laughs> about, but everybody wants to see. <laughs> you know, Chet, I'll, I'll tell you what, and I've mentioned this on radio several times. I don't know if I've mentioned it with you. Have you ever seen the video in like I think it was like 1970 at the Minnesota Vikings game where some ten year old kid at halftime on some demonstration of a hot air balloon and the ropes broke and he tethered and flew right out of the stadium through over the lights. You ever seen that? No. So no, so was the, he okay, I assume. Okay, so well he landed like ten miles away in the Minnesota <laughs> River and some hunter found him and he was okay and then they took him back to the game and dried his stuff and he went home and got like a free Vikings pennant. And then Jeez. and then that same year Minnesota hosted, I think, the NFC title game or one of them, and they decided to have some Viking fly around in a balloon, and that thing crashed into the to the upper deck of the stadium. And and it should be in the Hall of Fame. Like the video of those two incidents should be there with the video of Chris Collinsworth going, "What in the world?" It's the greatest moment in the history of the NFL. I mean, I'm just saying. Well, what was it the last year in in Baltimore Memorial Stadium where that Piper Cub, you know, crashed into the upper deck? Really, I don't. I don't remember oh, that. Yeah. You, you can you can you can Google that, and I think fortunately that the fact that they were you know they, they couldn't draw fans. I was just going to say that that probably fueled why Bob Ursay wanted to leave, right? <laughs> yeah, but no, it's a picture of a. a remember how they used to uh, uh, the comedy club on the south side? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. On, I know exactly what you're talking plane, about. And they the plane into the into the the, the roof. Yeah, this Piper Cubs, it's, it crashed into the like the upper deck at the stadium. So yeah, but there's all those, and uh, it's it's you know I think things kind of then one one memory hits another one. I remember I actually saw it on TV back in when I was younger, with much younger, with when Mike Curtis leveled up, he 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 clotheslined a fan that tried to run and get the ball. 
but it was, it's just, it's just one thing after another, after another. And you mentioned all the, the, the iconic photos of, of the Colts. I mean, Andrew Luck diving. Yeah. The Kansas city was, game. Yeah. Was it Donald Brown fumbled? It was it, I think it was. Uh, so it's just so many cool moments, but God, it's, you just hate that, that the one that people default to so much is Cole Anderson oh, no. and Griffin. I don't hate like, it. I love it. It's the greatest play ever. I love it. It's fabulous. I, so it just tells you that it wasn't just a play. Again, when it's people find reasons to, to throw it up there, it's just it's amazing. <laughs> hey, um, Mike, I am in this postseason, I do think, and I know it's probably low hanging fruit, but I think the Detroit story is great. And I think it's great because, number one, they've got a head coach that we all laughed at during his press conference because he made, you know, it, it was like, who is this guy? And then yeah. they, you know, they, they have a quarterback that was basically a cast off that had every reason to say, I ain't going to Detroit. And he goes there and sticks it out, and the team rallies, and, and it's just a great story. But question is, is this the ceiling? Can they beat San Francisco? I've, I've, I've not, I still haven't totally bought into Brock Purdy. I just, I just haven't. And I think they're coming, and we'll see if Debo Samuels plays, but then boy, Christian McCaffrey is a, is a, is a badass. But I, I, I think it'd be kind of cool to see, aren't they one of the few teams that never make a Super Bowl? I believe Detroit. Yes. Yep. I think that'd be so cool. And, and, and to see the way they've done it, uh, it, it's really it, you just, I've got nothing invested in them, no dog in the fight, but they are fun to watch. And, and Gerald Goff playing with a massive chip on his shoulder. Uh, they're great. They're easy to pull for. You, you can pull for all these teams, but Detroit is really, you know, it, it, it's, and, and you, when you hear his post games, he, he, he's not just giving you words. He's giving you emotion and passion and how committed they are. And they, oh, by the way, they've got some. They've got some great players. You know, St. John. Holy smokes! In the rookie, they, they were panned for taking a, a rookie running back as high as they did. Yeah, and he made a huge play now. for them. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, easy to pull for. I'd love to see it. Now, whether again, Frisco, I, I just it, it always comes down to the quarterback. It seems like, and I, it's pretty bad when I trust. Jared Goff more than I do Brock Purdy. But Goff has played well, though, Mike, right? Like, I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I had mentioned this last week. Jared Goff is a guy, grows up in California, plays collegiately at California, takes the Rams to the Super Bowl, and then in that Super Bowl looked totally befuddled. And it was right. like the, the, the curtain had been ripped back. But he looks like he's kind of refound himself in Detroit and I think has played really well. He, 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 He's sort of more of a reason that they are where they are than maybe Brock Purdy is. You know, again, is he a system guy, Purdy? I don't know. But golf is really playing well. That whole team is playing well. And I'm telling you, you watch Aiden Hutchinson, holy smokes. There were four or five plays where they didn't block him. And I'm thinking, what, do you, what, what, what defensive is there offensive scheme do you have where you leave the, the, their best defensive player unblocked? But that's that's how you that's how you, you 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 build a team with those edge rushers. Yes, a running back. You know, yes, you need a, you need a quality running back, uh, and then the quarterback making plays and, and that receiver on the outside. So 
you like the way they've done it. You like their, you like their, they're not BSing you. They're just, they're, they're giving you, giving it to you from the heart. Uh, it's really hard not to pull for the Lions. It really is. Chap, I found your piece about the, or not your piece, but I found the piece about the plane crashing into yeah. the stadium. I'm going to send it to Jake after the break. Uh, it's comical, the picture itself. Last thing for me, though, has anything ever happened from a celebratory standpoint in your life that's made you go full Jason Kelsey? No. Well, no, I, I leave my shirt on. Okay. <laughs> was that was that cool? The only thing would have been better would have been to have Taylor Swift take her top off and drink okay. with the Bruce. Okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> There we go. Now, now we're out there. <laughs> that's, that's him. And somebody said, you know, th- this is th- th- this is who he is. It's not like you know, right? Oh, Whaley gets in retirement. No, this is him. I mean, well, and then he picked he, up the the little girl. To, there was a fan, a little girl fan, her. that he picked yep. up to go introduce to, to Taylor Swift. And you're yep. like, I guess he's the one that could do it because it's basically his de facto sister in law, right? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't you like to be at somebody tweeted? Wouldn't you like to be at, if there's a wedding to have him give the give the, <laughs> the speech to, to the bride and groom? I mean, now that, but that that's that's that sort of brings you back to Detroit. That's who these guys are. Now, I, I'm I'm I get overdone with with Jason Kale or with Travis Kelsey, but I think Jason's really really that guy. You'd love to go out and have a beer or not a beer, but like a six pack with authentic. on a Friday night, right? How hammered was he at the end of that game? I mean, unless he can really hold his beer, but amazing, amazing. I wonder if he puts his Coors Light on ice. You're the only person I, I've I've I seen, do. chap. I know, I, and I guess it makes sense, right? But like, I've never seen somebody get a glass of ice cubes and then pour the beer over it. Well, I, I drink less beer then. Then I, it, it makes me drink less beer, which is a good thing. So. That's a smart move, well, yeah. That's a veteran well, move. Yeah, at my at my you know memorial service, there will be you know a member at Robbins. We had like long donuts and Pepsi's. Yeah, everybody's wearing sweatpants. Yeah, yeah. So at mine, I'll have glasses of you know ice, and you got to pour your beer over it. So beautiful. And then, so that you know it's, you got to you got to have something to live by. All right, chap. We're going to table this for our next conversation because we did it in our last conversation, but people are still asking me. Reggie Wayne, Dwight Freeney, are they going to get in? You're the guy that's got to make the case for him. That takes place when? When? When is it that you guys will meet for that? Well, okay, let's put it this way. I really don't want to lie to you guys, okay? Uh, we have met, and I we have met, so I know how it's going down, and that's all I can say. Because if I say more, I'll lie to you, and I really don't want to lie to you. So the Does that vote, clear anything up at all? Well, so you make a presentation for them, correct? I yes, and you one of them, yes, and you have already done that, right? Yes, and the, that's because you're the guy that that covered those two respective. Yeah, players. He, he, the way the way it is again, there's 15 modern era guys every year, and, and the the selector from that market generally is the guy that that does it. Sometimes you have players that, like next year, Adam Vinatieri. I believe it's his first year, and I'm guessing myself and a guy from the New England market will share it. Uh, but that's how that's how it does it. We know the guy more, and so and do you that. know so, what the voting tallies are? I'll play the fifth. Yeah, no, no, yes, I do. Okay, and so we will find that out when NFL honors. It's the February eighth, I believe it is. It's at Thursday before the Super Bowl. And there's going to be people excited here? There I'm going to plead the fifth. (laughs) 
All right. We'll leave it at that. I respect it. Well, I'll have to. The problem is you had too much ice in that beer, and I can't get the truth out of you. That's the problem. That was a smart move on your behalf. I'd, I'd need about as many beers as Jason Kelsey had last night before I could really open up to you. All right, Chappell. We appreciate it. Later. All right, Mike Chappell joining us on the program. Scott Agnes will talk a little Pacers coming back from the West and a busy week for them. We'll get into that next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Let's put it this way. I really don't want to lie to you guys, okay? We have met, so I know how it's going down, and that's all I can say. Because if I say more, I'll lie to you, and I really don't want to lie to you. So do you take that? As Reggie Wayne or Dwight Freeney are getting in, or neither is getting in, or one of the two is getting in. I take it as at least one is getting in, but that said, I also take it as Chap rightfully being Chap and walking the tightrope perfectly to I can't share anything. Yeah, he's not going to say it. I get it. Eddie, how'd you take it? I took it as neither. Toning his voice a little bit. What I think Eddie is hearing, though, is that cautiousness of Chap not wanting to say too much. I don't yeah, think it's negativity of like, oh, you're not going to like the news. I think it is, hey, this is a gray area, guys. I can't can't say anything. Definitely interesting, right? Definitely interesting. Uh, joining us now on the program, Pacers back from a West Coast trip where they went, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Agnes and Fieldhouse Files, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, two and four on the West Coast trip, technically, because one of those games on the trip was in Atlanta, which isn't out West, but... Uh, Atlanta and Sacramento, the two wins they got. I thought last night, frustrating down the stretch because multiple opportunities, but you're adding a new wrinkle to the roster. So let's begin with that, Scott Agnes. Do with Pascal Siakam now and just kind of getting a glimpse. How long is it going to be before we get a real feel for the fact that, okay, they are now cohesive with it all? Yeah, it's a difficult spot, Jake. Good afternoon to you. Yeah, I mean, joining the team on a road trip, and on top of that, he had a full travel day the previous day, and he's sitting in the MRI scans for several hours. Like, it sounds easy, but that's an exhausting process and and a lot to adapt to. So the trouble is for this team right now is while they're home for the next four games, or a week really early, they have four games to get right at, at it, and so there's not really an acclimation time. There's no real practice time that's obviously in sight. Um, so that hinders what they want to do and, and what any team really needs. So I think I'm cautiously optimistic about this week and him getting more comfortable, you know, having a little bit more of a walkthrough with the team before games. But truly, I'm really setting my sights on, on the next week where he'll have, you know, 10, 10 days under his belt. And hopefully by then, Tyrese is back into the full full time. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files covers the Pacers there. Nice enough to take some time with us. Scott, should it be a promising takeaway when you look at trades that happened, not like throughout time, but just when trades happen, there's a gelling period. I know you kind of highlight that there, but you can point to that Suns game and think, man, if you have Tyrese there late, maybe that's a different outcome. Maybe, maybe they're actually winning by a couple possessions versus just working so hard to try to get over the hump. When you look at these next couple weeks with that in mind, and it sounds like you're doing this, but should Pacers fans be bracing for the fact that all corners of this roster might take a brief step back before taking that step forward the trade was intended to make. 
Yeah, I would agree with that, Jimmy, mostly because I think the immediate reaction probably from fans here is, all right, it's just on Pascal to adapt, right? He's the only one that has to change. Well, that's not exactly right here because he steps into the four. Well, that thrusts somebody out of the four starting position, which is Jalen Smith, which then directly impacts his backup, which has been Obi Toppin. We see Jarris Walker, who's been out of the rotation. He's needed. He's thrown in, but he's playing the three last night. This has a direct impact on just about everybody out there, in addition to just kind of learning where he wants the ball and how he operates and how he operates in the mid-range and runs pick and rolls with Miles Turner. This is a, a full-sale change for this Pacers team that they all are going to adapt to. So, yeah, that's one big thing that I'm trying to emphasize. And more than that, though, what also makes it difficult is the caliber opponent right now. You'd really like an easier slate, but you come home and you get Denver, Philadelphia, and Phoenix, bam, 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 right there, which which is costly. And then the other thing uh, that's playing a, a key factor in all this is the Pacers aren't, aren't healthy right now. And I'm not just talking about Tyrese. You can tell. Uh, Andrew Nemhard really has not been healthy all season long. It seems like it's one thing after another for that second-year guard who they desperately need right now, not just because Ty is out, but because he's one of their top premium defenders. And so in a game like last night or the night before where they have two or three opponents that are going off, you really need him and Aaron Neesmith, who missed three games on the road trip due to injury. You know that you need those two guys to – the key contributors on both ends. And so that's an underlying flat factor here is that several other key rotational pieces aren't exactly at 100% right now. Scott, who's the Pacers' second-best point guard? I would go T.J. McConnell right now. Jake, what about you? I'd agree with that. You know, I, I think that there are limitations to an extent, but, you know, you almost sure. hate saying that because the guy over, you know, I mean, but, you know, just size-wise probably, but – um you know, it's interesting to me because he is a guy that I think at the beginning of the year there was the thought that I, I think Derek Schultz actually said this best this year in a game where he said every year feels like the year that they're that they try to I'm not saying the Pacers but that just that we that we set aside T.J. McConnell and every year is the year that T.J. McConnell busts his way right back through the door right. Absolutely, he he's a guy that's been counted out, and in doing so, I think he's in the back of everyone's mind. Um, whether that's fans, whether it's opposing teams, it's been what four years I think since he moved on from Philly, and I still don't understand why the Seventy Sixers didn't even consider re-signing him. There were no contractual talks, Jake. He had no idea what he was in for in free agency. The Pacers called. I'll never forget his first day here, where he's like, "Yeah, I wasn't given any promises. Uh, the second year of my deal is non-guaranteed." Uh, we'll see. And then at the first day at training camp practice, he was in a, a, a penny, a jersey, meaning he was on the third team. And so that's kind of how he's been thought of. Yet at the same time, we know beyond the intangibles, which are obvious, the energy, the, the spark off the bench, the T.J. McConnell inbound steal that he's good for one per game. There's just something about the way in which he gets this team humming with the second unit. And so part of why I should preface why I responded and responded so quickly is because what I have seen from Andrew Nimhart and how he has not been healthy, how that ailing back and the kidney stone and, and the bone bruise in his knee. Otherwise, he's he probably has the most overall talent. The thing is, what I love about T.J. McConnell's impact is how he gets others involved, how it's never about him, and how he's really mastered that like eight-foot fadeaway jump shot. Um, all of this coming off a career year last season – and he's too good not to play. That's what it comes down to for me, Jake, is when I saw him get countless 
do not place coach's decision. That's where I thought it was a little too much. You have to find time for him on the court because he's just too impactful with that second unit. Speaking of playing, Rick Carlisle in the end, the back end of this trip, did start calling the number of Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard with more consistency than we had previously seen. Was that simply trying to get fresh legs elsewhere, or is he starting to see something, Scott, in those guys that we might see more of, and particularly Walker? I viewed it more so, Jake, as trying to find some combination that's working right now. And so in that second half, we saw Jarris knock down some shots. We saw defense desperately needed as Phoenix's big three, which hadn't played a ton together, were, were getting countless scores. I mean, they scored 91 of their 117 points. Like, <laughs> that's pretty incredible in this day and age. And so I thought that's why, in particular, Ben Shepard was out there because we saw the Blazers hunt Buddy Heald late in the game. And I, I don't understand all the negativity and hate for Buddy Heald. I guess perhaps that's kind of similar to what happened in Sacramento in the end. But from the small social media crowd that you hear from, like it, it's it's stunning how much negativity right now there is surrounding Buddy and him starting and getting playing time. With these guys and trying to find a combination, I think one thing that did surprise me, Jake, late in that game, is C.J. McConnell played zero minutes in the fourth quarter and just three in the third quarter. They went with a different lineup, which featured Jairus at the three, uh, Obi at the four, Siakam at the five. I think I, I, while those two, the, those two rookies have stepped up their play to answer your question, I think it was more about trying to find something that worked and could fit against, against that Phoenix lineup that was successful. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. Scott, I don't mean to segue it in this way, but since this were the – Chips are laid out. Buddy Heald mm-hmm. is an unrestricted free agent, as you well know. Obi Toppin is a restricted free agent. They have a player option with Jalen Smith. A couple other names you could look at as well. The trade deadline is two weeks from Thursday. Are they done? Or, like, I always get worried when players are on the last year of their deal, or maybe it's a restricted free agent player that would kind of break the bank long term to re sign like Obi, and I don't want to see them leave for nothing. Are they at a point where they feel that at all? And if they're not, just straightforward do you think they are going to make any moves between now and february 8th yeah it's the whole situation that toronto just dealt with with pascal right they knew they weren't going to re-sign him that was a a contentious relationship that was (laughs) due for a breakup and so instead of not getting anything like they didn't with say fred van vliet in the past they moved on from him now for the pacers i think Obi Toppin seems like an obvious choice there just because you just acquired your starting four for the future now pascal can play the three he can play the five but i think he's pretty much slotted in that four spot Toppin wants to experience free agency that's a big reason why there weren't any substantial talks with him before the season on a contract extension with several like several other members of his 2020 draft class uh, were part of the pacers did do that with tyree so he's locked up Obi wanted to experience free agency and see what he could get out of it. So I do believe it could be a possibility for Obi, and that would make a lot of sense if there is a potential deal out there to further upgrade because what I've said about this team still stands is that this front office has been at its best when making deals um, and through trade. And we know through this team's history that they aren't going to have a, probably a lot of success in, in true free agency and the draft is 50-50. Um, has not been successful in recent years. I don't count the last couple of years because I need to see three, four years before you really dra- uh, evaluate a draft class here. But I-, I think the Pacers are still out there. They're still surveying 
what they could potentially get there, and also in clarifying roster positions. Like sending Jordan Wara made a ton of sense out because he was out of the rotation and he was at now one of their deepest spots, <laughs> which is ironic because they had zero four players uh, before drafting Jairus Walker. So uh, I think they're still playing ball out there. I could see Buddy re-signing, although it seemed like after what went down in the fall, you know, the Pacers aren't willing to get to a number that's $20 million or more that Buddy is really set on. So if that's the case, you do have to consider moving him if you're the Pacers and getting into, into deals that might be available. And that was one of the great positives of getting the Siakam deal done last week is that allowed the front office three more weeks to consider other deals um, now with this new formed roster. Jalen Smith, does he have a, a future here in terms of an extension? I think so, Jake. Yeah, they really like him, his, his upside. And or will others outbid, I guess, is a better way of asking it. Yeah, I think I think the Pacers can could find a deal for him if they wanted, right? Um, and I say that because they know exactly what he contributes. I don't think he has any extremely high value by any means. But I do know there's a, there is interest in him. For example, that was one of the players Toronto was trying to push for. And the Pacers pushed back and said, no, we're not giving you Jalen Smith. Toronto had been trying for, for Jalen Smith for several years now, um, for example. And same thing with Miles Turner. And so that's another reason that it informs kind of my decision, my thought here in that I think the Pacers and Rick Carlisle really like the development of Jalen. The thing is, same is true with Isaiah Jackson, who's in the concussion protocol right now. Um, and so with Jalen, he has that option so he can opt out of that. Then, then he could hit the free market a little bit here. Uh, but of the, among the players that you know Jimmy was asking about there, I think – Jalen is the most likely of those trio to remain here in the future. Scott Agnes is our guest. Fieldhouse Files is his website. Scott, I saw a story, and I, it did not overly surprise me, um, that Paul George had made a comment that Tyrese Halliburton – you know, I saw a podcast that Paul George had done with Tyrese Halliburton and where mm-hmm. he talked about seeing what Indiana was able to do in terms of Halliburton generating a buzz around town during the in-season tournament made Paul George reminiscent of the glory years that he had when he was a pacer. And then the story comes out that he, you know, he had contemplated what it would be like to play here with Halliburton. He is the perfect fit for what Indiana needs, quite frankly. But just in that capacity, and I don't know, so that's why I'm asking you this, if if you are to re-sign Siakam, which hopefully they do, and you have the big contract of Halliburton, that would give them flexibility to what level, or would that would it literally be they don't have room for any other big players? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right in saying that is the missing piece, and that would put them and thrust them finally into contender category. Right now, I view them as a playoff team, certainly with Siakam, whereas before they were fringe and potentially win a series or so. I I don't see anything real with Paul George, quite frankly. Why would he leave L.A.? That's his home. Uh, They've got a great situation there with the Clippers. He's he's, uh, paid by the richest owner in sports, so you're taken care of. On top of that, you're moving into a brand-new arena next year. Kawhi's already re-signed. They're competitive now after adding James Harden to the fold. For all those reasons, it doesn't add up to me. I think it's more just... Paul reminiscing and having good thoughts about Indy and then also thinking about all-stars where 
I, I'm I'm expecting him to take part in that game and and seeing the Pacers celebrated. But in terms of financials, I haven't directly looked at it. But Tyrese is on a max contract uh, starting next year. Siakam presumably will sign what I expect to be a max contract. Nothing could be discussed, but you got to believe both sides are under the understanding of, hey, we'll make this work, which then makes things very difficult, especially in this market, to offer even someone like Paul or anyone else close to a max type deal. Like that would <laughs> really make it difficult. I mean, you're talking, I don't know, probably about. 110 million of your payroll off the top of my head based on three guys. Um, so that, that for that reason seems highly unlikely. And would he want to take a pay cut? I, I can't see him leaving, but you're right. That's, that's exactly what they would love to fill with that three guard spot, having a two way defender. He's Scott Agnes. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Agnes, Pacers beat writer for Fieldhouse Files. You can check the work there as well at Fieldhouse Files. Scott, always good catching up. Looking forward to talking as the weeks unfold, counting down to the trade deadline and all-star weekend. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And that's Scott Agnes. You can hit him with a follow on Twitter, at Scott Agnes. It was a massive weekend in the NFL divisional round of the playoffs. We'll dive into all of that and maybe where the Colts stand in terms of looking up at what's happened in the AFC over the last couple of weeks with Charles McDonald. He'll join us in 11 minutes. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. My favorite Journey song, I'm not a huge Journey fan, but my favorite Journey song would be Only the Young. So here's my question for you guys. Steve Perry, the lead singer of Journey, it is his birthday today. Would you like to guess how old Steve Perry is? 72. Eddie? 66. I'm kind of with Eddie on this, right? Like, I, it, Father Time's undefeated, and so you forget how quickly the, the clock moves. But considering that, you know, Journey's heyday was 40 years ago, Steve Perry, 75 years old today. Whoa. I'm like, wait, wait What? And then I'm like, no, he's like 50, right? And then I'm like, wait a minute. No, I am actually. And I was in like fifth grade when they were at doing their thing, right? That is the blessing and the curse of being in the second half century of your life, Jake. I'm telling you what, it, it is it is surreal. I think most people can relate to this. It is a surreal age when you reach the age that you look back and have very clear and vivid memories of your parents when they were that age. So, like, I, I think about, like, the, or, or much younger even. I mean, now I'm at the point where, you know, I think about things that happened, and I have very clear memories of my parents in it, and I'm like, wait a minute, my parents in that in that moment were, you know, 45, and I'm 51 now. Like, that's a very bizarre thing. But Steve Perry, 75, surprised me. Uh, Charles McDonald going to talk a little NFL next, right? Yeah, take us through the divisional round of the playoffs. We'll probably sprinkle in, of course, where the Colts stand with Stroud's campaign in the playoffs and look ahead to uh, conference championship weekend. All right, we'll do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A big weekend in the National Football League, and if you're wondering how big, Jimmy can show the YouTube audience he's wearing Chiefs shoes. 
It's just Air Force Ones. You accused me of this the last time. It's having to be red and white. I don't know. But you only wear them after Chiefs games. I don't know what you're talking about. He's wearing a Chiefs polo too. No idea what you're talking about. He doesn't have the ring on though. That's the key here. He does not it's have not the a Chiefs game ring on. It's not a game day. Listen, Charles McDonald. We're going to get Charles to vote on this highly debated topic. Uh, he's writer for Yahoo, Charles McDonald, who covers the NFL. Charles, are you a married guy? No. Okay. Have you been married before? No. Okay. I'm only 29. Uh, crazy. So, okay. So here's the thing. Like, I, I am also, I mean, I have a longtime girlfriend. I've never been married, but Jimmy is a married guy. Yeah, I want, okay. So I need you to weigh in on this, Charles. Mm-hmm. Jimmy who does the program with me here is a huge Chiefs fan and earlier this year I noticed my eye caught on a Monday when the Chiefs were playing that he was not wearing his wedding ring but instead on his ring finger was wearing a Kansas City plastic Chiefs ring. It's not ring. plastic, it was it was silicone, that's important. Silicone Chiefs ring. What's the difference? Between plastic or silicone. Now, so here's the thing, Charles. Um, and I was saying... Now, hang on. Like, if you want to wear a game day ring, that's fine, but you can't wear it in place of your wedding band. Your thoughts? Yeah, put on your pinky ring, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Like, Thank you. Yeah, put on your pinky. What are you doing, dude? Are you going to go try to date the Chiefs mascot? Like, <laughs> I mean, look, KC Wolf does seem pretty appealing. I won't lie. I don't know if you've seen him up close, but it was I sold mean, as a I wedding was, band. I was, no, I... I was at the uh, the the Arctic game between the Dolphins, so I got a good look at him. I don't I don't know if that's what you want, though, man. <laughs> thank Depends you. That's how cold it is, Charles. Thank you. I I knew you were my spirit animal. Um, all right, let's begin with this. You mentioned the cold of Kansas City. I'm going to stick with my theme of the day, and that is the hot team of the Detroit Lions because I love the story of the Lions. Okay, um, but I'll I'll ask it this directly, like I asked Mike Chapel. Does the road end here for Detroit? Oh, man, this is definitely their toughest test, right? Uh, just in terms of the amount of firepower that uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco has, Kyle Shanahan, you know, uh, Brock Purdy is good enough usually to get the guys in position to make plays. Uh, and sometimes he can even make his own play. So, yeah, this is going to be a tough test. Like, it's a, there's a lot more firepower than, uh, than what the Buccaneers have. And I think that, like – if you go back and you watch some of those Rashad White runs and you replace that with Christian McCaffrey and the idea of what that could turn out to be, that's, uh, I think, a little bit scary for Lions fans. But on the flip side, like, they should be able to score on San Francisco as well. Like, this isn't the same uh, vaunted defense from when, like, D'Amico Ryans was defensive coordinator uh, or even when Robert Saleh was. They're a little bit weaker against the run, even though they're still pretty good against the pass. So, you know, that, that kind of plays into what Detroit does well. I, I think in a way that this could be a shootout, but uh, th- this, is a, this is a tough test for, for the Lions for sure. I, and I think it's going to be, uh, you know, one of those games where we find out, all right, Aaron Glenn, how good are you at your job? Because you're coming to a situation where you're a little bit outmatched. Uh, the Packers defense did a good enough job to slow them down last week, but can you actually finish the job and, you know, kind of not get trampled by the running game? Charles McDonald is our guest, covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Charles, in the hours that have passed since Chiefs-Bills, have you unearthed or determined what Bills fans did to upset the football gods or any other higher powers that may be in terms of yet another chapter of just heartbreak into their fan base and 
aside from that commentary, where do they go from here with what the cap number happens with Allen and Von Miller and, and other just big number contracts that are on their books with a window that you're going to need to revamp and, and reevaluate now? Well, look, I'm a Falcons fan, so there's only so much pity I can feel for anybody <laughs> else because I'm still working through my own issues. Sure. But, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty bad luck, right? Because <laughs> even if you, if you go back to the 90s, somehow you make it the four straight Super Bowls, you don't win any of them. Uh, you have, I think, w- what is undeniably like one of the three best quarterbacks in football, someone who at this rate is definitely going to be a Hall of Famer with uh, the way they produce it and how good they're being and Josh Allen. So, you would hope that one of these days you could you could kind of get this monkey off your back and get past the Chiefs because the funny thing is they've owned the Chiefs like this iteration of the Chiefs in the regular season, but uh, when it gets down to it, they just can't get past them in the postseason. And uh, look, I I say this from experience, like, well, it, it's it's a little bit different because like when the Falcons kind of hit their big wall of uh, oh, we got to get rid of guys. We're going to be over the cap for a few years. Uh, or not over the cap, but dealing with some dead money hit for a few years. Uh, Matt Ryan was kind of at the end of his career. So at least you still have this uh, like gravitational force in Josh Allen, I would say, where you you can you can survive you know, some of the losses that you're going to have to take because you know a lot of people have noted they're about $40 million over the cap space for next year. So when you're all in on a season like this, <laughs> it, it definitely stings to, to not even make it to an AFC title game. You know, to kind of end up where you've you've been stuck. You can't get past the divisional round. You lose again at the hands of uh, Patrick Mahomes for the third time in the playoffs, which is, you know, that that almost makes it a rivalry rivalry within itself. So you can't. You're going to have to figure out. Okay, we have to get under the cap and be able to add some guys. So you're probably going to lose someone like Von Miller who. I mean, if we can be real, at this point, it's probably not a loss due to some on and off the field uh, issues. It's not like he ever really regained the form that uh, he was prior to his ACL injury. So, you know, maybe you don't really miss losing him, but like if you have to move on from Stefan Diggs, I know that they kind of struggled to get him going again in the, the back half of the season once Joe Brady took over, but that's still a pretty big loss. And Gabe Davis is also a free agent too. So, you know, I, I think there's a chance that the 2024 Bills on the field look a lot different than the version that we just saw. But like I said, you still got Josh Allen. So you still have a chance to like win the Super Bowl any year that he's there, but this is going to be a huge year for them in terms of reloading and rebuilding, because uh, like I said, something's got to change and they're over the cap anyway. So now is kind of the perfect time to kind of shake up the organization a little bit. Charles McDonald is our guest. Charles, one of the storylines of the postseason this year, even though obviously it has come to an end, was the emergence of C.J. Stroud and the way that he has played in Houston and lifting that franchise. Does Indianapolis have a guy, do you believe, can Anthony Richardson be that same kind of talent for the Colts, and does he now feel a pressure on him because of the fact that he is in a division that's got some pretty good young arms? You know, I, I think that he can be that. I, I don't think it it looks like how C.J. Stroud does it with just because, you know, C.J. Stroud is closer to uh, – not not he's, like, full-on pocket passer, but he's kind of closer to, like, the previous generation in a way. But, uh, you know, even we saw on Saturday, if if they had someone less mobile back there, I think the Ravens could have gotten, like, five or six or seven sacks. So, um, like, his, his mobility is definitely a plus. But, you know, it's not what Anthony Richardson brings where you're 
he's kind of based like a run game around how good your quarterback is with the ball in his hands. Uh, and obviously, we know the talent he has on the other side. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that Anthony Richardson has a whole lot of pressure on him right now immediately, because well, he's only played how many games? Like four or five games before um, things kind of before before he got hurt and had to miss the rest of the season with his shoulder. So I don't know. Anytime you're dealing with that level of like inexperience, I think you have to give some grace and some leeway in terms of what can happen on the development path. But what she saw to get started was. Uh, was pretty good because I think anytime you're looking at a guy who can be uh, a positive force in terms of generating value on the field play by play, but without even like the the great proficiency as a thrower, that's a, a good place to start from because you're still moving the ball with him. And that means there's a lot of room to get better as far as just kind of developing him as a passer. And I think even with that, it, it, he, he still is not as far away as people want to make it seem. He's got, up the arm. I think he understands how the game is played pretty well. He's just got to work on the accuracy a little bit. And then uh, you have one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league, which is going to be pretty important because, like you said, CJ Stroud's there. Uh, I think we all know how talented Trevor Lawrence is. And if, if the Jaguars can put that together, we know that that can be a force. So you don't want to, you know, lollygag too much, but at the same time, he needs some time to actually get his feet wet and be an NFL player for a season. I'm guessing you did not have a Gardner Minshew question on your bingo card when the week began, which would have been earlier today. No, but I, um, I did not. But, you know, look, Gardner Minshew, I, I have always said, Charles, backup quarterbacks are like donut tires. They're great if you need them to get you a couple exits. If you're expecting to go all the way on your vacation destination with one, you're probably in trouble. I thought he played well for Indianapolis this year. Um, but you know where the limitations are. But he's a good right. backup. Will they be able to retain him in that role, or is there actually a team out there that will look at Gardner Minshew and offer him a contract to be their spot starter for a year or two? Uh, I mean, it's it's always possible. And if you're Gardner, you know which situation you want to be in. You want to play. You don't want to be sitting behind Anthony Richardson. So, uh, I mean, look, I think if you start looking out at the landscape and – Especially if you think of from the from the the viewpoint of like, all right, well, what what teams could be trading up for a quarterback in the draft, or what teams could possibly be in the market for one? Uh, there's a lot of teams this year who could who who are probably looking to upgrade their quarterback situation in some way. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Gardner Minshew ends up starting somewhere else. It's not like, you know, if you, if you're a team where your goal for 2024 is kind of. Uh, let's start looking like a professional football team again. I don't think that Gardner Minshew is necessarily a bad choice for that, but but like you said, it, there's it, it's only going to take you so far. And I think the best way the best way to to have a Gardner Minshew on your team is what the Colts did this year. You know, you you pair him with a pretty talented young rookie, and if that guy gets hurt, then you can still play competitive football for the rest of the season because Minshew is not like a total scrub. But at the same time. It's it's not going to be a situation where you're going to go on a Super Bowl run. You just you know if things go right for you, you can hit ten games and then uh, maybe you can get to the wild card. But that's not really the goal for for most organizations that are are that are somewhat relevant. I would say so. You know it, it, it's a good spot for Gardner because a lot of teams need quarterbacks. But you know you're not going to find yourself in a spot where you're committing to him long term. So I, I would be a little surprised if he just if if he ends up with. The, the Colts on the, as a backup just because I think he, he should have a market, but if he doesn't, like to me, that seems like a no-brainer to try to get him back in the building. Charles McDonald covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports is our guest. Charles, there's been a number of 
solid to great defensive units in the NFL this year, and Kansas City has been right up there with them. They are able to show that yesterday against Josh Allen. Now it's the Ravens once again on the road in Baltimore this weekend. We know how good the Ravens' defense is, but from an offensive standpoint with Zay Flowers, with the potential return of Mark Andrews, how good the Ravens are from an offensive standpoint, how similar or different is a defensive game plan for Steve Spagnuolo and the Chiefs for Lamar Jackson compared to what they just faced with Josh Allen? Well, I think this is actually a good deal harder because uh, I I just think the Ravens are in a better spot with Todd Monken than the the Bills ended up with Joe Brady. Like they have, they just have more answers than they did last year, especially when uh, you know oh man, what's his name? Greg Roman was the, the offensive coordinator, and the then Tom Monken comes in. And they split more to three wide receivers, eleven personnel, and kind of spread the field out, field up for Lamar Jackson instead of having it be. Uh, a congested space where he has to make things work uh, in in a kind of more difficult manner. So I I think that this is a really really tough matchup for uh, for any team really. But one thing that you know, if you're a Chiefs fan or or you're the Chiefs defensive coordinator, Steve McMillan, and you're watching that Houston game from last week, you know, like for a half there were there were blitzes to be had. You know, they, the Ravens didn't do a great job of picking up all of them, especially in the first half. I know they kind of got better as the game went along, but like the offensive line is not a super strength for uh, the Ravens. Really, it comes down to Todd Monken has figured out kind of how to get the most out of Lamar Jackson in, in certain manners, especially increasing production from the passing game. So uh, getting Mark Andrews would be back, back would be a big thing because uh, then you have a, a two tight end punch with Isaiah Likely, who's I think developed to be one of the more talented tight ends. Uh, in the NFL, and he's to me, he's a guy that could break out pretty big next year if Andrews is not there, or if Andrews gets off to a slow start because he's still dealing with his injury. I mean, this is a it, it's a it's, it's a it's a pretty difficult offense to stop. It all starts with Lamar to me, who is just like playing with so much more control than he has over the past few years. He's kind of gotten a mastery of this offense, and over the past like six weeks, it's kind of hard to find guys who have played. Uh, that much better than Lamar, especially when you factor in like the 56-point game against uh, the Dolphins the close season. You had the 33-point game against San Francisco where uh, he was pretty much flawless in that game too. I mean, he, the guy is just out of his mind right now. And, and now when you, you pair that like that level of talent with Gus Edwards, with the Zay Flyers, Odell Beckham and Spurts, I mean, there's a lot of space for this Ravens uh, offense to attack, and that really starts with Lamar Jackson up front. So it, it, it's it's tough for anyone, but I think Steve Spagnuolo, if you're gonna if you're gonna have any defensive coordinator that's not named Mike McDonald, uh, Steve Spagnuolo is a good one because I think once you get into the postseason, it's good to have a few changeups and fastballs with your blitzes, and I think that's kind of where the Browns faltered Week One against the Texans because they run a pretty static defense and make their players go and get it, and that's good for most of the season, but once you get into a, a team that can scheme against you, that's where you can struggle. Switching over to the NFC, Jake mentioned the story of the Lions and how that's a rallying cry for a lot of people, but specifically to Jared Goff, I know he's a number one overall pick, so I don't want to sell him short here, but is he a case study in even in an instant gratification society just because it doesn't work out in the first spot? doesn't mean you can't still be a a franchise-caliber quarterback, or does he still need to take it a step further and this needs to end with them hoisting the Lombardi Trophy for that to be a definitive statement? 
Um, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of struggle with the Jared Goff stuff because I look at it and say, look, we've, we've, we've been here before with him. We've, we've seen this before with him. He's played in a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it, it, this isn't something that we haven't seen Jared Goff do before. I think for the Lions, like the the imperative, and really for any team once you get to this point, is winning the Super Bowl. Obviously, because you're one game away, you're in the NFC title game. Um, I, I, to me, I still see some concerning things with Goff, especially when they're not running like their quick action, play action stuff, where he gets to turn his back to the defense, where we know that. That's where he's been at his best, going all the way back to the Sean McVay years. Um, I think that's that's going to be a, a, an interesting test to see, like if he can grow his, his own game into being a more um, dynamic drop back passer than he's been at times. So, like until and and it's weird because the the bar for Jared Goff, I don't even know if it should be this high, but when you're playing on a team that has these aspirations, like he like the Rams did. Uh, maybe you need a little bit more sometimes. To me, he's still kind of the same guy that he has been in the past, which is not a bad thing at all because Jared Goff at his best. So he can lead like a top five to ten offense through the playoffs and could get you within one game of the Super Bowl. It just, you know, the Rams found that at one point. Yeah, I, I think we need a little bit more, and they got it, and they got past that, that hump and got to a Super Bowl victory. But uh, with the Lions, I think you're a little bit too early in that time span to figure that out right now. Uh, you know, they're going to extend Jared Goff as they should. They pass on opportunity to trade up for an Anthony Richardson to make that happen. So we'll we'll see uh, what happens this coming weekend because I think when you're at the level of uh, a Jared Goff where you're almost there but not quite there, people can kind of take it as a game-by-game referendum and throw-by-throw referendum because they know they can feel how close they are, uh, especially with the other pieces on the team. So I, I think he's kind of in the same spot that he was with the Rams, and you know we'll see we'll see what happens on Sunday against San Francisco because uh, that Lions team is really really close, obviously, to actually getting things done and, and winning the Super Bowl championship. Okay, Charles. Lastly, here uh, from a football standpoint, I've got the names of three coaches. Uh, I want you to tell me in your in your gut instinct what team these three coaches individually will be coaching next year. And you can certainly, in the case of the first one, say the coach that he, the team that he coached last year, uh, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, Chargers. I would agree. Yeah. I, I think he's second interview now for him there. Uh, Mike yeah, Vrabel. I, I will say, uh, just last thing on, Mich- on Harbaugh, if he can get it into his contract that, Hey, any, any punishment, any you know, anything the NCAA finds out about this tax scandal, I won't get fired. I would bet he goes back to Michigan. Okay, interesting. Uh, um, all right, Mike Vrabel. Uh, Mike Vrabel. Uh, that's tough. Uh, I'm gonna go with because mm, I will. Uh, uh, I, I was gonna go Philly before, but. They didn't end up firing anybody. Uh, I'll go Washington for Mike Vrabel. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, Bill Belichick. Atlanta. You think that is going to happen? I mean, they're the only team that's in on him. So So the other question then becomes, who's going to be the quarterback there? Uh, that That's – I have no, no idea. Because the problem is they, they won too many games to kind of trade up for quarterback and – I think that, you know, people are saying that you can just trade up for a quarterback and go get your guy, but 
I think that kind of lacks the context of what's going on this year because the Bears have the first pick. They're almost guaranteed to use that on a quarterback with how Justin Fields kind of finished the season. Um, Washington at number two, they need a quarterback, and you may be able to just bring the hometown kid in with Caleb Williams. I think that that would be you know, kind of a big boost in a lot of ways for the franchise. Three, the Patriots, they need a quarterback too. So, you know, if you're going to trade up for one, it might be uh, pretty expensive. So I think the Falcons, they could find themselves like in the Justin Fields area, maybe Kirk Cousins, maybe Gardner Minshew if things go really wrong. But uh, I, I don't really know who's going to be the quarterback now. I just know that's what, be what, what we know yeah. in Indianapolis is Gardner Minshew's your guy when things go really wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when he, yeah, that, that, and that's, that's, that's what it has been for him the whole time, really. Charles, you're a younger guy. You're not married. We established that. Uh, but but looking at your photo, you look like a guy that would have a dog. Do you have a dog? I have two dogs, but they don't yeah. live with me. They live in my parents' house. Okay, so here's my question, though. When you go to your parents' house and you see the dogs, please tell me this. Because, you know, you're a, you're a bigger guy. You look like you could be a linebacker. You have a dog voice, right? Yeah. Yeah, see? I knew that because you're a sensible guy. Jake I can has tell. a test theory there with if you I have do. a dog voice or not. I'm, I'm convinced oh, I, if you I don't mean, have a What's that? Look, they're dogs. They're dogs. Sometimes you got to talk to them different than you would a human. Of course. <laughs> of course. So you're not a sociopath. That's good. So you sided with me on the ring situation, and you because you're a to sociopath. To be clear, I'm not a, a sociopath. Voice. I'm also on the dog voice side. I want that to okay. be clarified. In terms of dog voice, do you mean like cute dog voice or like, hey, I'm in charge dog voice? No, like when you when you go Happy to your to parents' house. Like, Give me the name of one of your dogs, Charles. Oh, like Rosie is one of them. Yeah, Rosie. So when you go to your parents' house, you haven't seen Rosie in a while. Rosie's jumping around all excited. You, you don't say, like, hello, Rosie. It's nice to see you. <laughs> you say, like, you know, and Rosie's a good girl. You know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Exactly. Yeah. And Rosie would, would look, if you were Jimmy, Rosie would look and say, why are you wearing a Chiefs <laughs> ring on your wedding finger? Even Rosie exactly. knows. Uh, hey, yeah. Charles, appreciate the perspectives and the conversation, man. Always happy to have you on. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Charles, Charles. McDonald, who sides with me on the ring situation. I mean, I can't get rid of it now. It's part of my brand now. It's got to be, like, I'm not, regardless of how many people continue to tell me I'm a madman, I'm sorry. Jimmy, this, are you not going to share what you told me last week regarding the ring? Oh, is that is that worth a tease? All right. You will tell that. Excellent. See the way you two are, are working in tandem here? How about that? Tell me on the other side what you learned regarding your, your Chiefs ring that looks like you might have gotten it out of Lucky Charms. We'll do that next. All right, so Jimmy... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, apparently, now let's back up for everybody that is new to the program. <laughs> My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook is the other voice you hear on this program. Hello Eddie Garrison there. is the CEO of the company. It's Good day. Company. Uh, we are excited as always, when listeners call in to appoint them as a different uh, responsibility within the company. For example, we have Paul, the director of giddiness. We have Derek, the director of veteran affairs, et cetera, et cetera. We have uh, any woman is automatically a CFO because we're not good with money. Uh, and Jimmy is the only of this trio that is married, although, Eddie, you're basically common law married, right? Pretty, pretty much at this point, yeah. And that has to be, common law has to be living under the same roof, right? Yes. Living in sin, as they say. Um, <laughs> and, and then I guess I would be common law married based on, on length of time, right? Even yes. though I'm not yeah. living into the same room. So 
Uh, Jimmy is a married guy, though, and on wedding days, as a Chiefs fan, Wet, he, oh, careful game days. Excuse me, game days on game days. Um, That's an important clip. That is <laughs> on game days. He takes off his wedding band. Wait, I want to jump in there, real quick. It's true, but I have a traditional gold wedding ring at home. I still view myself as a little irresponsible, so I wear these little like silicone just pack of like five wedding bands very common that like people in my age group wear this you do see it more i'll give you that so like to be clear it's not like we're taking a gold ring and it still matters i guess the symbol so jimmy replaces the cheap wedding band that he has with a cheaper one that is that so on on game days on his wedding finger he wears a chief's ring now i'm not going to totally mock that when i was a kid i had a football ring thank you that's good that i wore Uh, i was also nine yeah i was gonna say um, but nonetheless, so you have the Chiefs ring. Now, Correct. Eddie divulged that you had come up with a confession. Is that right, Eddie? Yeah, so last no, week's... No, no, not a confession, a revelation. Oh, yeah, it was a revelation, not a confession. But somehow last week, Jimmy and I got on this conversation about this Chiefs wedding band ring. And, and at the start of the Charles McDonald interview, you were talking about how Jimmy uh, was wearing... Chiefs gear, rightfully so, since this Chiefs won yesterday with the Buffalo this Bills. This is very tame, by the way. I'm and wearing I, a polo with a little tiny logo, but go on. And I suggested, hey, he's not wearing the ring today, because it's. and then you said it's not game day. It's not game day. And so we were harassing him a little bit, and I was like, hey, there's a story you told me last week of another person taking the side of Jimmy Cook in this situation. I am at brunch with my wife on last Saturday before the Chiefs played the Dolphins, and the waitress in between, like, you know, it brought us our food and everything, saw the chief's ring on my hand and goes, is that a chief's wedding man? And at this point, I'm very defensive about it now because once my co-host and partner in crime calls me out on it, now I'm going to get mocked here in this brunch place. She's like, my husband is a diehard chief's fan. Can I, can I know where you got that? I want to take a picture of it so I can maybe look and get it for him. Now. So she took a picture of the wedding band now, now, and then I'm assuming question. went and got it. Did she say... Did she say, because I want him to wear that instead of our wedding band? Or did she say, oh, that's cool. He can wear it on his right hand. She didn't specify where to wear it, but I, I, you could tell it was on my ring finger. Like I wasn't doing a, I was not hiding it. It was clear well, what I, was being I, done. No, I understand. But did she say, is that a chief's wedding band? Or did she say, is that a chief's ring? I believe she said wedding band. So you think that she was buying a, I'd like to. I think she was fascinated by it. Which is what I well, think everybody that, now is. that certainly is, uh, yeah, that's a possibility. She was fascinated by sure. it, right? She actually probably thought to herself, I didn't know that there are two people with this derangement in the same state, <laughs> right? There's only one person who can settle this all in the conversation, Mrs. Cook. Well, Mrs. Cook is fine with it, but Mrs. Cook, albeit, is Haley does not like cocky teams, and so she's kind of done with the Chiefs. Like, she's not done with my fanhood, but like, <laughs> well, she views the them as very. The Chiefs definitely have entered into, and I remember saying this about the Golden State Warriors, and people are like, you're crazy. Now, it's come back, so what I'm about to say, you're going to go, no, you're going to forget that there was a period where this was true. But I remember when Steph Curry first was doing his thing, and there was a while, there was a minute there where Steph Curry, it was like watching you know, NBA Jam, like when a guy was, he's on fire, like everything yeah. was going in, right? Patrick Mahomes had that feel. I remember saying Patrick Mahomes felt like Steph Curry because like you're watching this guy do things effortlessly yeah. that you're like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. But with Curry, I remember saying on the radio that eventually the whole like 
mouthpiece out, like laissez-faire approach is going to have a backlash. Yep. And it did happen. Now, it kind of came back once the Warriors were kind of brought back down to earth. Then I think it, you know people do love Steph Curry. Yes. But there was definitely a Steph Curry fatigue that kicked in, no question. And Patrick Mahomes is is certainly right getting there. in that area. Yeah, and it happens with every – I get it because I've felt it about other franchises. It happens when teams are winning a lot, whether it's Super Bowls or whether it's just constantly being in the news and the headlines. I get it. The Taylor Swift stuff hasn't helped things. But any great dynasty, eventually there is fatigue. And that's where we're at right now. We're like – it's no longer viewed as the warrior with confidence. It's viewed as cockiness at times, and it turns people off. Yeah, I, I and by the way, Shannon's the same way we're watching him. She's like, oh, cocky, like somebody will do some cocky. It totally <laughs> rubs her the wrong way. Uh, speaking, by the way, of your brunch, now let me, let me tell you guys what happened today. Okay. I'm looking at this article from WTHR, okay? So there was a restaurant that put together, this actually sounds fabulous to me, a subscription for weekly date nights. Have you heard about this? I have for, not. For $200, this restaurant, now before you guys look and see what restaurant it is, okay, this restaurant on their website, their website appeared to crash on Monday when their coveted $200 date night pass went on sale, okay? The company did not disclose how many passes were sold, but they claimed that they sold out. A pass includes up to $30 of food and non-alcoholic beverages per use and are valid 52 times a year. So in other words, you buy this pass for $200 and you get essentially $1,500 worth of food because it's good up to 52 times for a $30 credit. Mm. At any time that you go into the restaurant, it's they're giving you 30 bucks every time. You pay $200, you can go once a week and you have a $30 credit. Once a week. This sounds like a White Castle promotion. It kind of does, doesn't it? Can you imagine what you'd get for $30 a White Castle, though? <laughs> Crave case? I mean, Maybe come two? on, right? Tums? Okay. <laughs> they throw that in. It's sold out, like, instantly, right? The pass can be used once per 24-hour period, according to the promotion. Only be used once every 24 hours. So you, I guess you could go, like, 52 straight days, so long as it's 24 hours in between. Applebee's. Now, would you do it? I would certainly do it. I love Applebee's. Olivia, on the other hand, she does not like Applebee's, so it'd be a no-go. I used to love Applebee's as a kid, and then as an adult, I like started to drift away, and there were rumors they just like microwave and reheat their stuff, and like they got a bunch of bad press for it. I think Haley likes Applebee's. I would be willing to give it a try, sure. I used to love the Fiesta Lime Chicken at Applebee's until I saw the caloric count, <laughs> and I got older, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Greenwood Park Mall Applebee's. My mom would take me there all because my mom obviously I mean, loved to shop and like I would go there all the time. Applebee's is one of those places that you live in. I'm not going to disparage the, some town, but like if you live in a smaller town, like for example, IndyCar. Uh, when we go to Iowa for IndyCar, we stay unless we stay in Des Moines, which we've done from time to time. But if we stay in one of the small Iowa towns that's like not very big. The maid rights are fabulous, but if we're not in Marshalltown, Iowa, like we stayed once like in Pella, Iowa, there's an Applebee's there, and you're like, okay, I know what it is. It's 9 o'clock. We got to go back to the hotel. Let's get something to eat, and it's enjoyable, right? You get a beer mm-hmm. on draft. You know what you're getting. Burgers aren't bad, whatever, right? But for whatever reason, like Applebee's has become like knocked, right, as yes. this 
Oh, come on. Second you, rate. You, you like, would actually go to Applebee's, right. and I think you're right. A lot of that is because it's like it comes in a plastic bag, they cut it open, and then they microwave it. Chili's knockoff, yeah. I, you know, I like Chili's, too. I like Chili's. Somebody, somebody, who was it that, oh, Neil Brown. I mean, he's like a world-renowned chef, so of course he's going to make fun of me for liking Chili's. Do you remember the I'm Applebee's like, ad? This would have been when I was a kid, so probably like somewhere between late 90s, early 2000s, where... It just showed like an Applebee's and it was like this high school team that was on the bus after like a tough loss and they're driving up and like everywhere's closed. Like, man, where are we going to get a meal? And the owner kind of looks out from the Applebee's. He's about to flip the clothes sign. And he flips to open and he lets him in. I think that ever happened to anybody actually. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, because they're, the team picture's on the wall in Applebee's, right? Because that's the... No, you can bet. Actually, most restaurants when they see a bus, especially teenage kids, are like, oh my gosh, act like we're not here. Uh, Turnbuckle Bill's been waiting very patiently on hold for the course of the afternoon. One of my favorites. TB, what's going on? Hey, man, I've been enjoying every minute of it. Well, we appreciate it. Now, at some point, you probably just put you put it on speaker and you've been cleaning the house, right? I got got the house clean and everything. I cleaned the pipe out. Oh, no, well, excuse me. I didn't, mean, I didn't say that. But, uh... <laughs> we have that but, you effect, know, Bill. You know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, but... Uh... <laughs> But hey, uh, everybody in town gets Reach magazine in the mail. That's that magazine that's got coupons and different people advertising it. And in January uh, this month, on the very inside cover, um, uh, they're advertising the All Star Game being here. And get out your calendar and save the dates, uh, the 16th to the 18th at the convention center, according to this ad. And they also got one of those QR codes to. To scan if uh, if you get a hold of the actual physical ma- magazine, uh, more than 350 square feet of basketball and interactive ac- experiences, and there's going to be over 50 NBA players and legend appearances. That's a lot of pictures, man. I tell you what, you get 50 NBA players there. There's going to be a lot of photos going to be snapped uh, because that uh, uh, that could really make somebody's day. And, now and you'll oh, be down the way, there, right? Beg your pardon. You'll be down there, right? Oh heck yeah! And they're also going to have three days of of live music, and uh, I can think of another event that had three days of live music for back in the sixties. It was called Woodstock. Hey Bill, so let me tell you something. I was at, I, this is one of the proudest moments of my life, Bill. In two thousand nineteen, we were at IndyCar at Pocono, and we had downtime. And so I looked at the calendar, and I'm like, wait a minute. And I, I I'm like, this can't be. And it was. Um, I was actually, I went to see Ringo Starr and friends at Woodstock on the 50th anniversary of the opening day of the Woodstock Festival. It was awesome. Totally oh, man. awesome. Was that, that, was that the band with like, like Joe Walsh and, uh, uh, oh man, just, just everybody. Yeah, Santana I mean, he- was there. Ringo Starr was there. Colin Hay was there. Um, there were, there were like eight different performers that in some capacity had performed at the Woodstock Festival and, um, they actually now on the on the Bethel grounds on Max, you know, I forget his last name, but on the farm where where the concert was, where the Woodstock Festival was, on those grounds there is an amphitheater. It looks a lot like the Ruoff or Deer Creek, whatever you want to call it. it. Looks like that on the grounds, but the you know the the and then you go past that and they have the marker where the actual stage was of Woodstock, and you could see you know you could see the lake and the pond and the whole deal. It's it's basically preserved like it was in 1969. It's so it's, cool. a, it's a it's a iconic place, and they uh, and it's cool to go uh, go check it out and see it. And they got the resources around there to allow you to do that. Is that pretty much uh, is that pretty much what they got going on? Here's there? what's funny: like in terms of the Woodstock thing, 
there it's so it's basically like an as the crow flies it's an hour and 30 minutes north west of new york city or an hour and and change kind of southeast of the poconos area and the far i mean it's a massive area and literally the one thing you think to yourself bill is you're like how in the world did anybody find this in 1969 because it's not kind of in the middle of nowhere and when you pull onto the grounds there's the huge amphitheater, but then outside of that, and that's at the very entrance to the property, then you drive past that and you can eventually see the huge field in front of you. And they're literally, it's it's pretty rudimentary, but you can see the a clearing of land and, and then there's a marker there that says on this site was the stage and you can see, and actually they, t- they told me, um, and Bill, I, I, I apologize, I forget his last name, Richie, the very first performer of Woodstock. Richie Havens. Richie Havens, thank you. Richie Havens um, on the stage grounds is where his ashes were sprinkled once he passed away. Um, so it's very historic. It's super cool. And even if you were just passing through town, just to, there's not like a tour you take or anything like that. They do have like a gift shop that has photos and things like that. It's super cool, man. But the the All Star Game itself, Bill, I'm I'm you know you and I both. I mean, I remember what a big deal that was in '85 when the dome it was kind of the introduction to the world for the the hoosier dome at that time for basketball and that's where the all-star game was and the dunk the dunk contest with jordan and wilkins was at msa and and back then whoever would have guessed that we would be now some 40 years later at, at the level that we are in terms of the nba prominence for indianapolis and just being able to host big events but it's going to be super cool event uh all three days down there and i have a feeling we'll be talking more certainly talk more about it leading up to it but just the overall economic impact for indianapolis and you know the spotlight that it's going to put for our city on a stage and a stage that might have some people that aren't normal like viewers of indianapolis sports going to get a chance to see it now i had asked a question over the weekend on social media what would be the four least desirable nba markets to live in the four what cities of the nba cities what four would you least want to live in and i got a ton of people that were like portland la the bay area and new york and i'm like uh, okay if we're going to take like the the <laughs> political climate aside to me it's about climate i mean it's about i i guess you know there's no wrong answer it's a personal decision how many Jimmy, do I have to give? four the four cities that you would least want to live in in the nba oklahoma city okay there's a lot of places I would like. So I mean, this is tough to be me. fair, to be fair, this question is being asked in most NBA markets. Yep. Indianapolis would be in the list. Sure. And I'm, and that's, I would probably feel the same way defensively if I lived in Oklahoma Correct. City that I do about Correct. Indianapolis. This is tough for me because there's a lot of cities that are NBA towns that I really like, but hey, you want four. Oklahoma City, Sacramento. <laughs> Eddie disagreeing, it appears. Let me get it out. Uh... So would Mike Detroit Brown. Detroit and Utah. Salt Lake City? Yeah. I think Salt Lake City is gorgeous, but I, I understand. You know, it's I didn't want to do it to Sacramento, but again, you gotta pick four. Okay, Eddie? Um I would go Detroit, Oklahoma City, Washington. Last one is the more challenging one, and I'd probably go with Portland. Yeah, I've been to DC. I have some family out there. Like I love I love DC. Like I really do. But I get it having to pick a team. So what what would your reasoning be for DC? I'm just not I don't know. I've never been, but everything I've heard is just like unsafe. It's not a 
good area to be around. Okay. Pricing of living, the price of living there. Cost is of living, ast- I'll go with you. Like astronomical. That's, it's very astronomical. What would you not want about Portland? Constantly raining, constantly gloomy. Weather fluctuates cold. That's fair. I mean, the weather would be a fair concern. Um, I, I mean, I personally, I, Portland to me is, it's just so, I mean, it's, there's so many things to do around it. I, like, I, I've... I thoroughly enjoy when I go to Portland, I, but I also, it's interesting that the, the rain in the gloom of the Northwest in the winter months would certainly be tough, but at the same time, you know, would you rather have zero degrees and ice everywhere or 40 and raining, I, which is yeah. a fair question. Um, I think Detroit's got to be up there just because the weather is so bad and it's just, and then I, I my answers would be almost weather based to be honest with you. I, I I've been to every city in the NBA and I've enjoyed parts about all of them. I, Cleveland would be on my list. Cleveland, Detroit. Um, now you love this city. What about Milwaukee? See Milwaukee, I, I do love it. The winter would be tough. I mean, there's no. The hardest thing about Milwaukee is it gets dark at four thirty in the afternoon. Same, but same in thing the in terms of tough winters. Like I would never say this again because I've been there. I have family there, and the summers are spectacular. Minnesota's probably Minneapolis there. would be very high because of that quite no quite and I agree with the you. winters are brutal and, and, and the twin cities are fantastic I love them right but man the winter would be mm. tough I mean that would be hard I mean, you got to plug your car in that's always the first text that we get one of my nephews that lives out there shout out to Bobby J he'll send us a picture it'll be like November 5th and it's up to like you know the sliding glass door with snow and I'm yeah. like my goodness I mean, man like I, you know to be honest with you, even though I really like this city and I love and I have a great respect for the grit and the passion and just the loyalty of people towards this city, Philadelphia would be tough for me. Yeah. Just because, kind of the same reason. It's just the weather. I mean, you know what I mean? So I, I think I would go almost all like Rust Belt, Detroit, Cleveland, uh, Philadelphia, and then Toronto. Oklahoma. See, I would I like Toronto. I but the weather again, uh-huh. the winter time would be rough. But Toronto's like Chicago. I mean, you, you could stay indoors in Toronto the whole time and still have a billion th- there's a million right. things to do in Toronto. Theater and concerts. That that's I think Oklahoma City would be my fourth Jimmy just because it, it, no disrespect to Oak City, which is very similar to Indianapolis, but the proximity to other stuff would be what would be difficult for me. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, you here you live you get in a car and you can go anywhere in three hours and it's it's doable, right? That's there. why a lot of the East Coast is so attractive right, to me for totally. that reason. Because even if you're in Philly, you drive, get in the car a couple hours, go to New York. Or like there, there's that you close know, proximity. Okay, of having I'll big give cities. you one that the weather is fantastic, mm-hmm. but I'm not a Disney guy. So oh, hey. Orlando? Yeah. Man, I'd have, I, I am a Disney guy. I'm sure it'll surprise nobody. That'd be very dangerous to have. Uh, for me anyway, to have the magic there, like I'd absolutely get behind them and then my wife would probably ban me from going to uh Galaxy's Edge and spending my money on Star Wars things. So love love me love me some Disney trips. So so basically she was like, I'll let you have your little NFL <laughs> friendship beads ring, but you can't also do Star Wars. It was one or the other. Well, it, once every five years for Star Wars, right? You gotta have some type of compromise there. Come on, Jake. We went uh last January. It's a great time. The Star Wars stuff? Yep. Is that when you rode around on the Harry Potter ride? Uh, that was uh, 21. That was two years prior. Did I tell you that, that I lost her phone? Have I told that story on here? No. I uh, Short version of it. Uh, you had to get a virtual queue to go on a Harry Potter ride, and only her phone could get in. She could care less. I went with her phone, 
and it fell out of my pocket on the ride, and that ruined that entire day. Did you ever find the phone again? We did. We came back the next day. We had to negotiate with security because we had the tracker on the phone, and we could see it was moving. Like they said, the elect or the technicians go through the ride at the end of the night, check for it. They must have found it. They brought it back to Lost and Found. Had to tell our story to five people. Finally, they let me go back to the ride area without like having to pay to get in. Grabbed it, got the phone. Only one scratch on the back. Still worked for like another two years. Why? Why the challenge in like because they didn't believe you or because there there are that many people that are dying to get into this kitty ride? I would say that I would say that Universal I, Studios communication is not. Uh, they have a broken communication system there, Jake. Okay. What I would say. All right, fair enough. All right, we'll get back to talking sports. We'll do it. We'll hand it off to John next. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. First, in the Premier League, this just went off. So if you can still get this live, please do. We got Brighton versus Wolves. I took both teams to score in the final Premier League match of this Wait, Brighton match versus day, who? 21. Brighton versus Wolves. Wolverhampton, the Wolves. Anyway, both teams score is the direction that I went Brighton there. Brighton Wolves sounds like a Harry Potter sequel. Doesn't it? It absolutely does. I could see it. Harry Potter and the Brighton Wolves. There you go. I could see it. Fly it off the bookshelf, Where Jake. do the Brighton Wolves play? Uh, in Brighton? <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, we'll take the Celtics on the money line on the road against the Dallas Mavericks this evening, even though Chris Tats Porzingis Wait, is Are we giving gambling tips on soccer matches? Is that what we just we did? We just did that. Welcome. Welcome it, in. There's like three scores total in the entire thing. What, what, did you, what was the wager here? Both teams will score. Additionally, I'll take the Orlando Magic. We'll scoop the two Magic two-point dogs as they host Cleveland. Not to kick on soccer, but how lame is a sport where you can bet on whether or not both teams will score? <laughs> you're right. If you did it anywhere else, you're not going to get any value you know what I mean? on, your, on your bet there. Uh, by the way, uh, this isn't like a sponsored thing, but one of my favorite things around this time of year is you highlight local restaurants, local dining, getting to experience a ton of stuff around the city in central Indiana, north side, midtown, all that good stuff. Uh, Winterfest 2024. There's no Midtown. We're I'm, not so, New York. I'm just going off their labels. I'm not trying to reignite a Derek Schultz debate. I apologize. Winterfest 2024. Devour Indie, where they have a lot of good deals, a lot of good meals you could try at all these different restaurants. So tons of different participating locations. It starts today all the way through February 4th. How about this? I went to dinner Saturday night. You ready for this? Do you have the breaking news sound already? Breaking news, I went to dinner on Saturday night, ordered a draft beer, and they had it. Woo! How about that? Yes. How about that? Is that one of those where you, like, I feel like have to either make a diary note of it or, like, just have a moment of a fist bump that you've conquered that deal? Well, and you also get to a point where you're, like, when you were younger, you'd go somewhere, and if they didn't card you, then you fit, you're like, well, we got to remember this place. They didn't sure. card me. What now, beer was it? Now, when I get carded, I'm like, I got to remember this place. They actually carded me. Um I go to Drake's, and Drake's Lager is actually the Goodwood Lager. So they changed from the Drake's Lager to the Goodwood Lager, but I love it. And they actually said, I, I go, hey, I'll take a Goodwood. They go, oh, the, the old Drake's Lager. I go, yeah. And they go, yeah, we have it. And boom. Do you get upset, or do you think you'll ever reach the age where you get upset when you get carded? I'm not going to out the direct Cook family member, but there are cooks that are taken aback when they get carded because they do not look like they're 21. Oh, it's the biggest compliment ever. Are you kidding me? Would I ever get upset if I got carded? Right. Like 20 years from now, would you be upset if you got carded? If I'm 71 years old and they're carding and make me prove I'm 21? (laughs) Hell no. That's I'm like, I'll remember this place forever. It's the greatest. No, that's the best.
It doesn't happen very often, though. Sure. It doesn't happen very often at all. You just stand up and they're like, hey, sir, you're good. I apologize. That was my fault. Yeah, that's, that's well, or if, I, if I'm wearing a hat and I take it off and they see the gray, they're like, okay, we're good. Uh, busy week for the Pacers, right, Eddie? Yeah, a very difficult and challenging week continues. They have Denver on tomorrow, uh, which you know we talk about all the time. That first game back from a really long road trip is oftentimes still like a road game. Phoenix comes to town, so a very difficult upcoming four-game homestand for the Indiana Pacers. The um, you know the, the the real I guess challenge is the wrong word, but the thing to watch is just to see you know with Matherin. Um, coming off of, you know, not playing well, trying to get him on track, but just see how everybody meshes with Siakam. And as we talked about with Scott Agnes earlier, uh, you know, I don't know that we know definitively the timeline on when, you know, how long does it take? You know what I mean? I mean, Jimmy, if you look at it with Siakam and, you know, Jairus Walker starting to get some minutes, you know, what is the, the length of time that you would think it would take for everybody to kind of be on the same page, if you will, and then you have a real feel for who they are? For me, with the uncertainty of like if if Tyrese Halliburton is good to go and it was just a one off on injury management for him and they get him back immediately, maybe two weeks. If not, I'm not going to rush to a full scale panic or judgment on it until probably that first stretch back after the All Star game. I think it's going to take time for that entire roster, not just one or two players, to reestablish what their roles are. And on top of that, Jake, you've mentioned about the Colts and the Pacers over the last couple of months. The goal when you're running a team that feels like they're getting close to the arrival of opening a championship window is not to rush it too quick and overspend and overswing. But at the same time, we met, we mapped out the Paul George fantasy. I'm not saying Paul George, but this coming off season, if you're building around Siakam and Halliburton and Turner, you should be able to have a fair assessment of do you need one more piece to make this a formidable team? Or is a guy like Jairus Walker or a guy like Benedict Matherin or whoever going to take that step forward next season to where you feel like you already have it in-house? There's so many audition pieces going on right now. But for me, to answer your question, uh, all-star break for you me. Know the, okay, that's fair. Um, and it is, you know they're going to have two all-stars, right? Yes. I mean, one, one would assume that that's the case. Have they announced yet who the – if they are, my apologies that I don't know it off the top of my head. Have they announced yet who the – Participants will be in three-point dunk contest and that kind of thing? Uh, no. That's usually like a TNT special the last couple of years, if I remember correctly. Like a, a, a TNT Thursday, and they'll have all that. They'll announce. Because I would assume that there will be, at the very least, a pacer in the three-point shootout, right? Or dunk. Probably Tyrese again, right? Yeah, but he's going to be, I mean, he'll be in the all-star game. I, I would think because it's in Indiana... They will want a participant in each. You think aspect. Obi turns back the clock and enters think, the dunk contest? I would again? think Obi Toppin would be your dunk contest participant, right? Well, if he's still here, right? Well, oh, yeah, because deadline too. is the eighth. That's but the that's, other thing. The unique aspect of I'm curious how teams change, if at all, their philosophies with having the trade deadline now prior to NBA All Star Weekend versus you still had kind of that lull period and there was still recruiting conversations going on at that event. How does that change? the mentality and the purposefulness that front offices operate with. How many Pacer dunk contest participants can you name? Historically. I'm, I'm failing on the spot, so Eddie? I'm going to say zero. Uh, Gerald Green and Glenn Robinson. That's all I got. Fred Jones won it. Okay. Uh, Terrence Stansbury. Paul George. Did you say Paul George? I forgot he did. Oh, yeah, I forgot he did it. 
He had like weird, glitzy, like shiny looking shoes. I remember that. And then he went out and I think he went out like the first round, right? Yes. Yes. And then three point shootout. Victor Oladipo did the dunk contest as well. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say. Because he did the um, Black Panther mask. That's right. I do recall that. But I'm old guy when it comes to that. And the dunk contest to me, I'm like, you know what? It's, it's never as good as back when I was a kid. It's always been my, my theory and philosophy on that. Have a bit of ton of pacers, three point shooters. Reggie's done it, right? Correct. But he did it like five times. And then you want to play the game or do you want me to just read them off? Uh, yeah, go ahead and read them off. Uh, Granger, George, Heald, and Halliburton. Okay. Uh, JMV's up next. He just walked out. Uh, James, he is here, right? Yeah. Okay. John's up next. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon. Stephen Holder, I think John's going to talk to you today. Uh, we'll talk Purdue as well tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Back at it at noon tomorrow. You've been listening to Quarian Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.